is Who You Know, and I'm Dmitry Samarov. Today I bring you a conversation with poet Mark, Mark Turcott. Uh, this one's long time in coming. I've been bugging Mark to have a record a conversation with me for quite a while, so I'm glad that the persistence paid off. Um, we've known each other for for a few years, uh, 10, 15 years, I would, I would gather. Um, know each other from the art scene, the Chicago literary scene, and uh, we had a wide-ranging talk about the perils of publishing, um, performance, uh, poetry, and a hell of a lot more. Uh, I'm really fucking glad this happened, and uh, I hope you will be too. You know, in Odessa, Texas, of all fucking places, you know, um, you know, Midland, Odessa are these sort of twin cities. Yeah. Odessa is kind of the blue collar, and Midland, so-called white yeah. collar. Both they're, they're both oil cities. One tends to be like where all the workers live in Odessa, yeah. and then all the corporate people live. You know, the owners of the oil. Were you, were you working the in, in the refineries or no, no. Uh, exploration? Expl oh, okay. that's how I got stuck down there. Oh, that's what you're, and that's the company I was working for went under, mm. and I was already kind of stuck there. Yeah, and um, and the plus it was during the Rust Belt collapse, you know, and there weren't any fucking jobs in mm -hmm. you know, Michigan, Ohio, or whatever. Yeah. So I'd gone down there because of that, and so there's no point in heading back north. So I just got a job, like for a door and window company or something. Mm. You know I mean, just got another shitty labor job. Yeah. Not as bad as the oil field hand stuff, you know, because that's just awful. Mm. But, uh, and then, you know, you meet a couple women and all of a sudden that's where you live. Yeah. You know. Um, and my friend, a friend of mine, she was actually a high school teacher of mine, Suzanne Frank here in the city, mm -hmm. high school teacher of mine in Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, my mother and I, or my mother, after my mother, after my father was asked to leave our family. Yeah. Then my mother stupidly hooked up with another Indian guy out there who was a drunk. My father was never a drinker, uh -huh. which is a miracle. He was just rabidly violent. Um, yeah. So she hooked, she hooked up with his stepfather, and or he became my stepfather. Mm -hmm. He was kind of worse yeah. than my old man. Um, but the thing about being a drunken, violent person, eventually you pass out. Yeah. You know, it's a subtle difference. You know, it's almost... <laughs> You know, you can kind of survive it because they, yeah. they get tired of hitting you and shit. You know, they, right? Or they become like completely like soppy and oh, they get you know, weepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sentimental. And yeah, yeah. And they want to like hug you and like right. slobber on you and shit. Um, which I have another story, a short story called "The Tractor Man" about that. Because mm. like, part of my growing up was in the migrant camps. Migrant camps. Are we, what, are we interviewing right now? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you're recording all this. We're we're oh, going. Man. It's <laughs> you should have warned me, man, because there's stuff that I wouldn't say yeah. publicly. But you're going to let me see something before you. I can? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you a file. You can tell Maybe me you can cut whatever. Out. Maybe I should have got out of my contract. <laughs> no, no. Because oh, I was thinking some of I was as I was talking, I was thinking some of this would be good for the interview. No, no, you know, no. It's I mean, not, it's not an interview interview. interview. Yeah, it's okay. just a conversation. Right. Okay, good. Yeah. So, no, but I'll send you a file. I mean, I'll, I'll send you a file so this it's afternoon. Like, it's like those things I've already listened to that you yes. plug sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I. I don't have an agenda, and I don't have. You know, we're not promoting. 
a, a widget or like your yeah. new thing, okay. unless you want to. Well, I mean, that, no, that happens good. sometimes that, mm-hmm. as happenstance, but that's not why I, I ask people that I know I, get, I have had interesting conversations with. That, so it's like a, it, it's an archive of talks, you know, <laughs> that's all it is. But yeah, you're absolutely well, I'll remember to, just to not use names and stuff. <laughs> I had a, yeah, I had a, a former teacher from the Art Institute who got a little too loose and comfortable. Yeah and panicked and, and made me cut a couple of pieces yeah. talking shit about coworkers, and, right. you know. <laughs> but, yeah, well, for me, I'm, I'm comfortable with whatever. Like, you can say whatever you like. <laughs> well, I've, you know, I mean, if, if people read my work and they've heard me, you know, yeah. do my work, they know that I'm, you know, pretty frank and honest. You know, That's the thing is, yeah, yeah, you're not going to say anything you wouldn't say anyways, you know. Right. But, yeah. You, well, I might confess to some things that I wouldn't confess to on tape, you know, so mm, it's good to know, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've done a lot of things and been a lot of places and known a lot of people in my life, so... Sure. <laughs> um, but where, where was I? Oh, this so this former teacher of mine... Yeah, uh, you know, was got here, Chicago, was here in the city, and she kept saying to me, what are you doing there, Mark? Why are you there working for an oil company or for a door and window company? And uh-huh. Actually, I had customers. I would go to some person's house in Midland, Texas to, like, hang windows in their house, you know, like mm-hmm. tear out and yeah. place their windows. And I'd start talking to them or whatever, and then and they would sometimes say, like, what are you doing here? You know, like, you don't Meaning, seem like any... what do you think they, they meant Well, that? they just didn't... They thought it was odd that once they started talking to me, and these people tended to be kind of wealthy. Yeah. Because they could afford to, like, sure. change all the windows in their house and stuff. And one of them, I remember specifically, she had a you know, a poster on the wall or something like that. And I said, oh, that that's O'Keefe, right? And she said, mm-hmm. yeah. And I said, oh, I just saw the O'Keefe show yeah. in Chicago. Yeah. I was traveling, you know, to go visit my mother, and I stopped mm. overnight in Chicago to visit a friend, and she took me to see. That's what that poster's from, right there mm. on the wall. And that same same friend, Suzanne Frank, yeah, know, got bought me that poster as a souvenir. And the woman just kind of stopped and said, okay, you're here to hang windows in my house, and you're talking about going to the O'Keefe show in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Like, it didn't register for her, you know. The, the idea that, like, a working person yeah. could have other interests right. that were, were not just mm-hmm. pounding a nail into a wall. And especially, or, this is what's another yeah. sad aspect of it, is that when I was in West Texas, I tended to be darker than usual. Because mm-hmm. you And I was a young man, and I still had a full head of hair. Yeah. And because of the nature of things in West Texas, people often assumed I was Chicano. Or um, you know Mexican. Yeah, you know. Sure. Um, back then, Chicano was an acceptable phrase. I'm not sure yeah. if it still is, but anyway. Um, so they would often just assume, and sometimes uh, Mexican people would speak to me in Spanish mm-hmm. and think I was being stuck up when I wouldn't answer, or, or <laughs> pretend they thought I was pretending like I couldn't answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a job for a very short time as a bouncer at a, an illegal drinking establishment, mm-hmm. after hours drinking establishment. Where you had to frisk the men and the women mm. before they went into the yeah. bar, um, and they used to like. Plus, I plus because of one of my a girlfriend I had who was from old Mexico, you know, one of the strippers I mentioned. Um, she would bring me cigarettes from old Mexico. This this brand called Faros, mm. which is lighthouse. Oh, okay. You know, and I would be smoking those, and yeah. then the. The Mexicans, the you know, undocumented Mexicans who would 
come to this club yeah. to drink and party, they would say, oh, I know that's Faros. Like they could yeah. tell by the paper was sweet sure, yeah. or something. So then when I tried to say I wasn't, you know, yeah, I wasn't Mexican, then they really didn't believe me. Mm-hmm. They thought I was just being stuck up, you know. But then uh, eventually I convinced them, you know, like, you know, I'd say, like, soy indio del norte, you know, in really mm-hmm. clumsy Spanish. I'm an yeah. Indian from the north, you know. Yeah. Um, then they'd call me, oh, indio, they got to know me. But people often mistook me. And so if I'm working in some person's house who, you know, is slightly cultured for, mm-hmm. for West Texas, she's saying, okay, probably a Mexican. He's a laborer, you know, yeah. um, you know, unskilled, you know, semi-skilled laborer. But then I would talk mm-hmm. like me, you know, and I wasn't by any means like a scholar or anything, but I was yeah. experienced and had read a lot of fucking books over my life. Yeah. So they would often say, you know, so it was like not just my friends would say, what are you doing in West Texas? You should be living someplace where you can be you and like what you are good at and, you know. You're a writer, you know, you've been a writer forever. Why aren't you writing? So you Sometimes were Sometimes total strangers would even see that in me. And you're, say, so what you were doing yeah. living in my town, you know? Were you always a writer? I mean, oh, like yeah. from childhood? Oh, yeah. 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 And you always knew that, that yeah. that would be the thing? Yeah. yeah. I've told stories before, like in interviews, about mm-hmm. discovering that I was a writer in my Yogi Bear coloring book. Mm-hmm. And I had a Yogi Bear, not very many crayons on the res, but I had a Yogi yeah. Bear coloring book that had like the black line drawings that had captions. Sure. And not every caption, not every picture was of Yogi Bear, but yeah. um, one of my favorites was these boys running, and they mm-hmm. seemed to be white boys mm-hmm. in the drawing yeah. with a dog in the grass. There was like yeah. tall grass. And it, the caption was, the boys run through the tall grass. Mm. And I just, for some reason, started playing with those captions, yeah. probably because I didn't have a lot of crayons. Yeah. And I would like rearrange them and in, I use that phrase, the boys run through the tall grass, as a writing exercise now, mm. and have for years, yeah. of eventually turning that phrase into run tall grass boys. Mm. And, uh, and how you do it, how I do it is just I eliminate the prepositions in the articles, just scratch those out. Yeah. You know, so it becomes, um, you know, boys run tall grass. And then you take grass and put it in front, as grass boys run tall, and take tall and put it in front. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's just about. So how old were you when when you started that oh. with the Yogi Bear book? You know, Did you say it was after my old man left the family? Yeah. So I was like, you know, six. Yeah. Five, six. And then there. It's the stuff was blurry then because we we traveled so much. But like I said, we spent a lot of time in the migrant camps of the Western U.S. Mm. I think I mentioned that already. Yeah. Um, so um, potatoes in Idaho, plums and. Um, near outside Marysville, California, um, and I was a little kid, so I didn't do the real hard labor. But you know, it was it was a migrant life. Yeah. Um, so even if you had stuff, you didn't have much of it. Yeah. So you had one coloring book, you know. What I mean? mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I have vivid memories of actually that Yogi Bear coloring book is mentioned in my sh- short story I have about being in the migrant camps, mm-hmm. like me, like looking at it, and kind of fantasizing about yeah. being on a train with Yogi Bear, <laughs> where he was like under this nice blanket and you could see the snow-covered mountains and pine trees outside of the train window. Mm. All of this just in a little black line drawing. Yeah. You know, but a lot of it was like living in your head. Right. Um, as a, Because outside my head was like this extreme poverty and violence. And, mm. 
What I mean, when you realized, well, this interest in writing, did you have, like, an I, like, what did you imagine you'd be when you grew up or something? Like, did you have a picture oh. of that at all? Oh, like, no. No, oh, nothing? No. Like, no. that could be a life? No, I, I, knew that I, words. I knew that I was a writer uh-huh. um, and that I loved to write. Yeah. And I think I, I learned to read and write early because my sister was five years older than me. Mm. So she was actually at school and practicing with her books. And I, like, yeah. by osmosis, I think I absorbed it all because my mother says I, I could read really early. And um, I would read like her uh, her cookbooks. Mm. And I remember reading that. And the Bible. I read the Bible a lot when I was a kid. I was very intrigued, terrified and intrigued by the whole religion thing. Mixed in with like this, you know, Ojibwe, Northern Plains, you know, spirituality and stuff. It was really interesting. Was your mom religious? No. Well, sort of. She really wasn't that religious. She's a white woman. Yeah. Until my old man brought her out to the res. I was born in Michigan, but, you know. And then they... he 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 took us out to the res shortly after I was born. Oh, okay. And then she met these native, you know, Indian people. Yeah. You know, back then we just said Indian, you know, and um, they were like, "Well, you got to get your kids baptized." They were kind of Catholic and stuff. Mm. So um, that was an influence on her, and she got baptized for the first time ever in her forties. Oh wow! Along with that, um, I have old photos of that stuff. Um, and from my mother, she would often have these longings to live back again among Indian people because I think it was the only time in her life where she felt treated like a real person uh, among Native people um, because in the white world she was like the bottom of the ladder. I mean, you know, dirt poor farm people. The joke was that they were they they weren't even dirt farmers because they didn't have dirt. You know, (laughs) Um, and this is in rural, rural Michigan? Uh, or, or, you know, outside or, of Lansing. Outside you know, Lansing. Things were way more rural. You know, my mother was born in 1916. Uh-huh, yeah. So she had me quite late. You know, okay, um, yeah. So, you know, we're talking about the teens. You know, she grew up during the Depression. Right. Um, but they were already, you know, she said, like, kind of, the Depression was just already how we lived. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, and she had the same sort of thing, like, didn't really know her own father. Her mother had children with several different men. Mm. You know, she had quite a few siblings. Yeah. You know, like maybe the first three had the same father. Then after that, you know, yeah. people weren't quite sure. When you look at old family photos, my mother will be identified by different fathers. You know, mm. I mean, it'll be her name and then a different, the wrong yeah. surname on the end of it, you know, <laughs> um, which they just they didn't even worry about, you know. Um, so there's some similarities, you know, um, from her childhood to mine. Um, but we left, sort of, essentially escaped the reservation in the middle of the night, escaped from my stepfather. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one reason I say it's so blurry is because there was a period there of like maybe 18 or so months where we left the res but came back and then mm-hmm. left and came back because he kept. You know, because of the turmoil con- in there. Well, he kept convincing. No, we would leave and leave him back on the res. Oh, and he would talk her into coming back. Into coming back. You know, she mm-hmm. was really vulnerable to men. I mean, just really, really vulnerable to 
man. They just took advantage of it. Yeah. Hmm. So, so when did you leave? Did you and you then you ended up back in in Michigan? Yeah, I, I essentially finished my growing up in Michigan. Yeah. In and around near Lansing, Michigan. Near Lansing, and Lansing was where I was born. Mm-hmm. And the reason is my father was visiting. I actually have a poem. It's about this. It's called "A Horse and Cradle." My father had left the you know was living on the reservation. He did not. He did not relocate mm-hmm. to the factory cities like his siblings all did. Yeah. Um, he stayed on the res and, and and worked all over North Dakota and you know all over the, the upper plains, but um, and also I think in the Southwest too in Texas. But anyway. Um, he was visiting family in Michigan mm. and walked into a diner. Him and his brother and my yeah. mother was working in this diner. Uh, one of those old-fashioned, you know, where you put the tray on people's uh, car window. Oh, yeah, the, know, drive, kind of the drive-in. Drive-in. Yeah, yeah, but you yeah. could also eat inside. Too. Yeah. So they came inside to eat, and he had a guitar and his thick, wavy hair and his big, uh. horsey laugh. And, you know, <laughs> just really impressed the hell out of her, you know, and he could dance and stuff. And, yeah. Um, boom, then I happened. Quickly. Yeah, they were never married or anything. Oh, but yeah, I had two older brothers who were both in the Air Force when all this happened. Mm. My mother's first marriage. Yeah, and then my older sister from a marriage she had where the, her husband died mm. when my sister was like three. Yeah, and then when my sister was five, then is when she met my old man, and I was born. You know, so I have this sister. So we're the two. Even though all my siblings are half siblings, she and I basically grew up together. Mm. She's no longer with us, but um, all my siblings are gone. They all yeah. Well, two of them were quite old already. You know, they were nineteen. You're you're the youngest, right? Yeah, I was yeah, the yeah. baby. I'm sixty five. Right. You know, so. Um, but they. Uh, That's an old baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Big old baby. <laughs> and but. did you wind up going to? You went to college in in Michigan, or you went to you know, I had, some you know, kind of college. Well, I was lucky that when I was in high school, I had a couple teachers and a guidance counselor who just kind of saw me, recognized me. Mm-hmm. You know, I've spoken about this quite a bit, actually. That sort of saved my life, you know, because yeah. I was pretty dark. Yeah. In my teen years, you know, I was like always the only native kid wherever I was at. Oh. To the point of it was just easier to not even mention that I was native. Mm. And. You know, when you're living in a white community, you know, yeah. you might, oh, you just have a nice tan. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. or, you know, once in a while people would say, you, you, you or usually people's parents yeah. would say, like, are you, um, like, Mexican? I mean, they would wonder. Yeah. Because they could see that I looked different than all the other kids, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes that was good, sometimes it wasn't so good if they found out I was native, you know. This is still all small town Michigan, yeah. kind of, yeah. yeah. Even... I mean, Lansing was like 90, maybe 90, 80, 90,000 at the time. Oh, okay. The city, the capital. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even that kind of town was a small town. Yeah. You know, in the early 60s, you know, in the late 60s. Um, so you were... So I was always the kid, like, I always gravitated, like, so there would be, like, one black kid in my school. Mm-hmm. So you're friends you know, with so them. Or in my grade. Like the know, other so outcasts or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we... Uh, found navigated toward each other you know we actually I had a birthday party um, and my mother you know had me invite kids and I just invited certain kids from my class sure and you know 
there was a phone number so they could call to say if they their kid could make the party. And this woman of my friend Willie Harris, his mother called and she said she called because she said, I want you do you know that we're black? <laughs> you know? She probably even said we're colored, you know. Like, yeah, you yeah, know, sure, we're, yeah. We're colored That's, and my I mother was that, like yeah. yeah, Mark told me. Mm-hmm. And the woman said, Okay, because Willie's never been invited to anything. Yeah. So we are you sure you want was to Was he the only him? black kid in, in the school? In or? my grade. Yeah, in your and grade. I don't, I don't remember what, who was in other yeah. grades, you know. You know, you know, when you're a kid, it's kind of like you and like what, anything 10 feet outside your circle sort of yeah. isn't there, right? Sure. Um, or it's just a blur. Um, but she really made sure that my mother understood that, like, well, other kids might not like that. Mm-hmm. Other families yeah. might not come to the party if they know yeah. that Willie's coming. And my mother said, well, he's invited. So the weird thing, this was like my 10th birthday, mm-hmm. is that the day before my birthday, Martin Luther King was shot. Oh. And so shit went crazy. Yeah. And so all the families called and said, We're, you know, so-and-so's not coming to the birthday mm. party today. And it had nothing to do with Willie or anything. Yeah. And Willie's mother called and said, you know, he's not coming. He's yeah. not leaving the house today, you know. So, so no birthday party? You know, I had no birthday party, which um, you know, was strange. But that's just a weird, like, historical coincidence. But there was, but you were saying earlier that, like, there was a few teachers that would sort of, like... Right, so later, yeah. you know, later after that sort of an elementary school experience, we moved yeah. outside of Lansing to a small town outside of Lansing. And I never mentioned the name of this town, but anyway... Yeah. No, you don't um, have to. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, there were a couple of teachers there who just locked on to me and like mm. saw, you know, they, you know, my mother was a dear person and worked her ass off, but just didn't have a lot of time, a lot of resources. You know, was she be, still working like in restaurants or was she? Working? Um, by that time, she had, she was working. She worked in a department store for a long time, and then finally got a job with the state of Michigan. Mm. And the reason we moved out of Lansing is because they had built this gigantic complex of state of Michigan offices. Yeah. Um, so she was some sort of, you know, like a key puncher, maybe, yeah. or something. Yeah. And I had to get to, but for her, it was like, you know. Moving up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was huge for her. Um, but it also meant we had to move out of Lansing. And so we ended up living in a what we used to call a trailer court, mm. you know, um, a mobile home trailer court. Or, yeah. Uh, and uh, so I was a trailer trash kid after that. But by then, my, my sister um, had gotten pregnant with, with the guy she was dating, and they ended up getting married and stuff. So it was just me and my mother mm. um, during that period. Like, so like my junior high to high school years. Um, and teach, you know, my mother, like I said, I love my mother. She tried her best. That, you know, yeah. I mean, she got us away from the craziness. She got yeah. us into the craziness. Eventually, she got us out of it. Yeah. Um, but she didn't have a, a lot of resources to like. Like I don't think she taught me to read. Mm. You know, I think I learned. You're saying from soaking it up when my yeah, sister with was your sister and stuff. Yeah. Up. But because my mother was exhausted all the time, mm. you know, and that was when she was also being beaten every day by these yeah. women. So she tried really hard. And I think teachers recognize that, like at parent-teacher conferences, mm. and 
later, I had teachers admit to me. I ended up remaining friends with a couple, three of my different high school teachers and a guidance counselor. You know, for the rest of our lives, we've been friends. But they've later admitted, like, oh, when I saw, you know, when I met your mother, I was like, how, how is Mark who he is? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how did Mark come from this woman and yeah. then this crazy situation? Yeah. So they almost like felt like, well, somebody has to step in here. Mm. You know, so they would like give me books and they would make sure that I was okay. And when I tried to like get really dark and disappear, they would like. What's what's a book that, that you remember from like that had an impact? Can you think? Well, one of my teachers was the first one to give me uh, the Underground Man. Mm. You know, which was just you know I, I can't remember which translation I had, but it begins with like I am an ugly man. Mm. You know, and I and I just I identified with that stuff immediately. I felt really kind of ugly. You know, I had a large amount. I mean, just in my own you know brain, I thought I was big and ugly and clumsy mm. and stuff. And, and I also felt like I had an internal. I was aware that I had an internal life that most of my friends didn't have. Mm. You know, um, so and then I and it was a, a, you know fairly close to then that I encountered. Uh, Taxi driver, yeah, you know, which I didn't know at the time, yeah. But the you know, taxi driver, Travis Bickles, based somewhat on the Underground Man in mm. some ways, you know. Yeah. So, um, and then later I encountered the Sex Pistols, which was just another pile on of, you know, that sort of attitude, you know, that way yeah. of thinking. You know. So I was kind of like experiencing my own sort of world of culture and art and things on my own. Yeah. But people were inserting little, you know, you know, later just Faulkner, you know, as I lay dying was an early favorite book of mine. Um, there was a book called God, I can't remember the name of it, but it was Black Poets, an anthology. Mm. And this teacher gave that to me. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, what is this? You know, and they and I was writing poems and they all knew I was a writer and, yeah. and um, you know, in unusual in unusual ways mm. compared to other students. Um, but th there was no other, none of your friends were were ever into any of that stuff, no. that stuff that was your own private thing? Well, they knew it. I was always they, known they, as like, oh, he's the poet, he's the writer. Yeah. When I when I played football, you, know, you couldn't read my number on my back because my hair was so long. <laughs> you know? But I was the, the long-haired, hippie, pot-smoking, defensive tackle poet. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, that kind of thing. And there was, lot of one, there was only one. It was only one of those. Yeah. A lot of hyphens. It <laughs> was only one of those in my school. You know, who knows? I mean, I could have. You know, there were seventy, like, I think seventy-two or maybe seventy-five kids in my class. Mm. So yeah. if, if maybe if I'd stayed in Lansing and gone to a larger high school where you meet more kids, I mean, just by yeah. you know, just you'd have you'd have yeah. found more with yeah. common interests. Yeah. Because yeah. as soon as I went away, and I, your, your question was about college. I'm sorry, I'm really drifting here. That's fine. That um, this is exactly how. Yeah, okay. I, this is exactly right. I, what I like. Well, you know, I'm glad you like it because usually I'm more organized, even when I drift. Um, <laughs> but I also because I know you pretty well. I'm also yeah. like we haven't talked about this stuff. No. You know, and so even as I'm talking about it, I'm thinking I, you must. I must have told you this already. But we haven't had that many time chances. No, and we've never we've bullshit. never really talked yeah. about your growing yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, no, we talked about more like present day shit usually. And I know more. I know about yours because you write about it. 
Yeah, yeah. You, you know, like lots of people in overt ways. You know, yeah. like on your little blog or you know, you know yeah, what yeah. do you call that thing? That you newsletter. Oh, it's a newsletter. Okay. Yeah, it's a newsletter. All right. It's it's what you can call it whatever you like. Okay. It's it's my my little soapbox. You know, yeah. whatever weekly. <laughs> okay, we'll just call. It, I'll just call it whatever purging the, I need to Dimitri do. Dimitri soapbox. Yeah. <laughs> Like a the public shout. public diary kind of thing, you know, the shout from uh, from the chasm or something. <laughs> but um, yeah. he's trying yeah. to Mark. He's, say, he's saying I live in a hole. <laughs> no, but you do tend to be like hollering up, right? You know, because I don't think you spend a lot of time hollering down. You know, I, what I mean, I, I will like, take that as a compliment. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's meant to be. Yeah, it's like that thing. You know, you. <laughs> You, like uh, punching down, yeah, like punching when they down, say, like punching what, up, right. comedians, like yeah. what, like the bad ones, like yeah. abuse people that are like weaker right. than yeah. them, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Beat me to it, because I, you know, having spent some time in Texas, I, I mm. knew quite a bit about uh, the woman whose name I just who said Molly Ivins. Mm. Remember the writer Molly Ivins? She I know that a, name. I don't know anything she was about a her. Columnist, really. I think. Yeah. Dallas, maybe or somewhere. Yeah. But. Um, and she had written this first time I ever saw that phrase is, you know, you know, I admire people who punch up, not punch down. Yeah. You know, just that concept was brand new to me through Molly Ivins. Um, but these people helped guide me. You know, I think I, you know, I don't know. I was, I would either have ended up really drunken and alcoholic or mm. suicided. Yeah. By the time I got out of high school, if it weren't for these teachers who just kind of kept holding, you know, making sure that I didn't do those things. Yeah. Um, I fucked up a lot, but I stayed alive. And one of them basically found a college for me that was really super liberal, where I could kind of just be easygoing and stuff and artsy and and talk me into going to this college, help me get, you know, Bureau of Indian Affairs money Mm. and stuff Mm. to go to school and... And where so, was that? And that was in Michigan. In Michigan, well, yeah. Grand, well, well, Grand Valley State. Back then it was called Grand Valley State Colleges. Hmm. And there were small colleges all together on one campus, and the college that I went to was called Thomas Jefferson. Hmm. And it was known as the most super liberal of all. They were like four colleges. At Did you have to have a major? or? Uh, no. No, so it was like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, super. And when you walked into the building, where all your classes were held, you could smell pot. Mm. And it was coming from the professor's offices. And stuff, right. You know? and <laughs> I, I walked around campus and to my classes, uh-huh. carrying a like six-foot wooden staff, which is right behind that door right there. And you won't see it, but yeah. I still have it. It's not quite six feet. Yeah. Um, and wearing um, around my neck a flask full of wine. Wow. And I just went to class like that, and they used to call me the, the Indian Moses, like people who knew I was. You were like the dude or something. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, he walks around in his bathrobe. Right. Yeah. Nowhere, nowhere as cool as the dude. Yeah. But I mean, that's how easygoing it was. Yeah. You know, and there, were, yeah, that was not questioned. Right. That your your costume was not considered weird <laughs> yeah it was just me in a jeans and a black t-shirt yeah with a wine flask and a staff yeah and i don't know why i guess i found the staff the college i was in it was out in the countries on these ravines mm. grand valley state is still partially out there but now part of it is in grand rapids michigan oh okay grand yeah. grand rapids i know yeah. grand rapids is where well right outside of grand rapids is where most of my books are printed 
Oh, okay. It's a place called you, Wy- there's Wy- more coffee. Wyoming, Michigan. It's just oh, outside of Grand Rapids. There's a bindery there. Yeah. That, that's where my hardcover books. Can I bring some? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, Actually, it's right there. In I'll, I'll just grab it. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Wyoming. So we, you know, Grand Valley was out between Grand Rapids and the lake. So it was actually a really beautiful location. The, the dormitories was a small college. They were sort of built on the edge of these ravines. So you could get out in the ravines, you know, and kind of get away from shit, you know. Yeah. So what were you studying mostly there? Was there any, you know, just... I just did that one freshman year and I took a class because it was easy to sign up for. It was like you just had one class the whole first semester. Mm. And it so was, it was like, yeah, it was real free flow. Oh yeah, it was it just was like a hippy dippy thing. Design your own we, curriculum. We read of Camus, um, Firestone. Firestone. Yeah. Um, Am Anne Rand or uh, not Anne Rand? Um, Arndt. We read Arndt. Who else? God, lots of lots of weird stuff, and <laughs> it was mostly just about. Did the class have a name? I don't just like you. Don't know what? Here's you don't even thing. confine it to right, a I name. I had a wine class around my neck. Yeah, yeah. I don't you didn't know. I remember. You just showed up one day in the. Yeah. But the thing I remember most is that, like I was saying, maybe if I hadn't gone to high school in this tiny little town, yeah, things would have gone differently. But boom, that first month at this college, I met people who knew who Patty Smith was, mm. people who knew who William Faulkner was. People, you yeah. know what I mean? And I didn't know any of those people you've never met that. people like, that i didn't realize those, like, yeah. oh other people the like the music into, that i yeah. like and yeah yeah i mean patty smith psg literally saved my fucking life when yes I was, you know like 15 years old huh you know um all by myself in my mother's living room you yeah. know in her little trailer there in the trailer park you know um because none of my friends were interested they were like in the Leonard Skinner and How'd you get to Patty Smith? Did they play that on the radio at all? Like, how'd you find Patty Smith? I don't know. I think I would read like Rolling Stone or yeah, Cream. Rolling Stone would have covered Cream Patty's. out of Detroit. Yeah, Cream. I don't know if you remember Cream? They just relaunched. Yeah. They just relaunched. Oh, it. really? That's funny. I, yeah, I know. I know a guy who's. Yeah, I don't know how how they'll do. I mean, print magazines are like that's yeah. really hard. It's a really hard sell these days. But yeah, they're trying to do it. That's all funny. these kind of like. Music obsessives are trying to... Was that Lester Bangs? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the old days. Yeah, right. (laughs) Way back. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, I would read those things, Mm -hmm. because those were lifelines, you know. Right. And they would definitely cover somebody like Bryce Smith. Right. And so that's how I would discover almost everything. Mm. That's how I discovered Matahupo Live, which I just was in my brain the other day, because somebody from my past sent me an email saying, did you know that... David Bowie wrote all the young dudes, mm. you know, yeah. and not Mata Hoople. And I was like, yeah, I knew that. Even back when that was a big hit for Mata Hoople, like, weren't you paying attention? Yeah. And this is a guy I went to high school with, and he often, like, when we look back at our lives, I'll say, you know, because I teach now at yeah. Paul, so I have, you know, mostly like 19, 20 year old, sometimes 21 year old students. You teach freshmen or sophomore? Everything. You, you yeah. teach, oh, yeah. it's all yeah. mixed, yeah. But I mean, the age range, even yeah. if they're, you know, they start at like 18 or 19, and by the time right. they leave, they're, you know, not more than 21 or so. But but I also do grad classes once in a while, so that's, you know, kind of non-traditional stuff. But anyway, yeah. these young people, you know, it reminds me of like who I was when I was 19. 
Mm-hmm. And I often say to them, you know, when I was 19, I was way more curious than you guys. You know, like, oh, yeah. come on, man. What's, you know? And so I'll say this to my friends who were 19 with me, mm-hmm. and they all go, no, you were. Yeah. We weren't curious. You were. Right. You know, so, and I've come to realize you know, they're right. You know? Like, yeah, and so then also... I had, yeah, so by going, leaving my high school... Yeah. Going to this little college, even the dumb, you know, little tiny little college it was, I suddenly met other people who were also curious. Mm. So they, you know, that's kind of what happens. And I realized that's kind of what happens at DePaul, even. You know, people from, you know, the weird kid who grows up in Toenail Junction, Wisconsin, right? Yeah. It's been wanting to get the hell out of there since they can remember because yeah. either they're queer or they're different, yeah. some, you know, some way. They want to get the hell out of there. So they come to Chicago. Right. And in Chicago, they're like, oh, I'm not the only weirdo. I know there's other people like me. Um, And that's revelatory. I mean, that's one of the things that I share with my students. And it took Mm -hmm. me a while to realize I had that same experience, but, you know, for different reasons. Mine was coming from a small town, lots of poverty, and being native. Yeah. You know, Um, I didn't meet any native kids at Grand Valley. um, But I met other people, you know, who were other things. Yeah, Asian kids, you know, Middle Eastern kids. Um, there was uh, a couple of Mexican kids that I met. You know, Mexican American kids, um, blacks, definitely. Yeah. Like I was, I was on the floor in my dorm. Everybody on the floor, it was male on one side, female on the other side of the mm-hmm. building, but in one wing and the other wing. But everybody on my floor was black, mm. except for me and my roommate. Yeah, and I don't know how that happened because it was very obvious because all the other floors were white. Right. But I think on my application, I put Native American. Right. So they, just, then, they lumped you in with them. Yeah. yeah. No, and my, no, my no. roommate was white, mm-hmm. but he was like on a baseball scholarship. Oh. So my first semester, I think he was. And so he was never in my room anyway. Mm. Um, so he would have been like the only white person on the whole floor. Um, so I suddenly got this exposure to all these guys who were mostly from Detroit, mm. Flint. Yeah. You know, um, which was a which was, you know, mind-blowing and, you know, opened my eyes to a lot of stuff, man. It was just great. I mean, these guys were amazing. Yeah. You know, to be exposed to. And um, I, I used to have a T-shirt, a Radio Ethiopia T-shirt, mm. a Patty Smith T-shirt. Yeah. And this guy, this, I remember to this day, his name was Snake. You know, he just had to have that name, Snake. <laughs> but, and I'll tell you another funny story about Snake. But first, Snake looked at me one day and he said, what does that say? And I said, Radio Ethiopia. And he goes, I knew you were from someplace different. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, "Uh, between you and me, you're probably more from Ethiopia than I am. You know? Yes. And then I had to kind of explain it to him. (laughs) But uh, Snake was also the guy that a group of us took a walk in the ravines. And these, a lot of these guys from Detroit were scared to death of the ravines at night mm. because there was like weird animal noises and stuff. And well, it's nature. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you grow up in a city, yeah. like nature is terrifying. Yeah. And yeah. and they would like be scared. And then one day it was kind of dusky; we could still see yeah. a snake went across in front of Snake, and he like leapt out of his. Yeah, room, yeah. You know, it's like why do people call you Snake and you're scared to death of snakes? He goes, I didn't know I was. It's <laughs> the first one I ever saw. That's a snake. You know, he was like, yeah, right. You know, but I would be like, you know what? Where you guys live is scary. Mm. 
you know, this is Chicago in the 70s, or I mean, Detroit in the 70s, you know, after everything that happened. Scary is what you don't know, though. Yeah. I mean, whatever yeah, that yeah, is, it's like, that's what's scary. <laughs> yeah, but it was like me figuring that out. Like, mm, I yeah. would be scared to death to go walking in your neighborhood. Yes. You know, with the strange noises there, you know, and, you, and then you're afraid of this thing that I'm very comfortable with. Mm. So, you know, little light bulb moments that you have. That, 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 that shit's so valuable, though. I mean, to get you outside of, like, whatever, like, you think everything's just this way that you know, yeah. you know, and you find out it's not. I mean, like, one of the reasons I can, I can travel to all kinds of places is that, you know, I'm from, I'm from elsewhere, you know, right. like, I'm not from here, sure. and I've never, ever felt like a place that's, like, mine in the way that, like, the traditional, like, the, the white person thing, you know, yeah. like, where... Like this, I'm entitled to this. I'm right. the, I'm the lord and master of. This. I'm from here, and all yeah, my and ancestors. Everything else, everybody else is here to serve me, and or whatever. Uh, I've just never felt in that position, you know. Like, even though I, I, I pass very easily, you know. Yeah. This came up with like my friend Jasmine, and I did one of these with. He's a short story writer. Mm-hmm. He wrote this great book called Stateways Garden, but it's a great, great Chicago book a few years ago. But yeah, he was very struck by me using that phrase passing, you know, he's a black guy. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, like, sure. I got smuggled in from somewhere else, you know, and the way I look, you know, people think I'm Irish or something, you know, right. like, that's not what I am. <laughs> but, you know, that's, it's funny because, <laughs> I mean, I sort of already know that about you, yeah. and I've always been surprised at how entitled you still seem to be. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, even though Dimitri's not an American, he sure can act like one sometimes. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, you spend enough time in a place, you're going to get, you know. I'm guilty as well. Of course. It, it'll rub off on you. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, maybe you, I often feel like I, I snuck into a club, mm-hmm. you know, that I really Double wasn't, you know, yeah. wasn't, wasn't allowed to be in. I mean, for me, it, that was like just gender-wise, like even though I'm hetero, and yeah. I still often felt like I'm not in the club, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a young man, and, and other young men would behave in a certain way, and sure, I, was, yeah. and I, and I, I managed somehow to not have to, because a lot of young men have to adapt that behavior, even if they don't, it's not natural to them, but because like, I was kind of a big, yeah. I could take care of myself and stuff. I, yeah. No one doubted my masculinity, so I didn't have to like join in their masculine club. You know, yeah. And, and talk about girls in really revolting ways and stuff. I just and yeah, I even I got in the habit of just saying to guys, you know what? Sorry, man, I'm not in the club. Yeah. No, we have that in common. I I've never ever been a part of a crew of guys yeah. that do that. Right. You know, <laughs> that thing. Well, this friend of mine that I was talking about from high school that I'm still good friends with, he'll, besides saying, no, Mark, you were the one that was curious, and we weren't, mm-hmm. he'll also say, like, you were kind of your own clique. Yeah. You know, like, you could hang with the stoners and the jocks and the women and the, the RCP, yeah. you know, you could hang out with any of them. And I was like, yeah, that's true. And none of them, after a certain point, you know, after I got used to being off the res and that yeah. we were never going to go back to the res, I just sort of adapted to the idea of like, okay, but I'm going to be my own person in this world. Yeah. You know? And never had a problem with peer pressure or right. that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I, you know, like when when I first 
when my family moved to to the United States, you know, I was seven years old. So for the first few years, you know, I tried really hard to fit in and assimilate, and failed repeatedly, failed badly. You know, like until I gave up yeah. because it was pointless. And how old uh, were you when you died? Seven. Okay. Yeah. See, that's something that I haven't pinpointed yet. Yeah. Seven, yeah, and, uh, but I never, I mean, we didn't move, so we moved to the Boston area, there was not uh, uh, a Russian Jewish immigrant community there, not not an, not what it became once the Soviet Union fell, and there was a flood of people, and now, and, well, since the late 80s, you can easily survive in, in that ecosystem, the way, say, like, there are Mexican communities in Chicago, right. like you don't have to learn English. <coughs> in around <coughs> Boston, New York, I'm sure some other cities, there's places where you can speak Russian yeah. and be fine. You can have a job, you can have places to live, you can have friends, you can have whatever, girlfriends, wives, husbands. But that wasn't available to me, so it was full, it was full immersion. I was in ESL for a year. Wow. Uh, uh, well, first what they did was they stuck me in second grade instead of third. They should. So they fucked me out of a year of my life, yeah. uh, and they <laughs> stuck me in it, and they stuck me in ESL. But yeah. like you know, within a year, I knew every curse word there was to sure. know, and I was getting in trouble for it for using them. Right. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, that the kind of outsider thing has stuck with me my whole life, you know. And even though I can easily pass, as I say, I never ever felt comfortable or part of any any sort of elite or any. As mm -hmm. the, I don't like the Marx Brothers mu much, but I do like the the famous thing. You know, I would never join a club that would have oh, me right. as a member. Right. You know, sure. I, that that's that's definitely one of my life values. Uh, I remember, yeah, even like in high school, when like you were the writer kid, I was the artist kid. Mm -hmm. So I was the I was the kid that would draw things. Right. And sometime in high school, there was like, I went to a pretty fancy high school, and we had an arts building. You know, like, and there was like advanced art classes, and at some point, like, I was sort of—I don't know if I was the star of the art class, but I was—I was up in the upper tier or whatever. Like, and there started—you could position your easels or like kind of have a little click, a little group, and I just took mine and and dragged it across the other side of the room. You know, it was like I was not going to join even if I was the king of the club, not. I don't go to parades. I don't go to parties. Like, don't like groups. So there's <laughs> never been is there there's never been a, any kind of creature that you're vulnerable to who can. Oh, who I'm I'm vulnerable. I'm vulnerable to all kinds of creatures, okay, but right. one at a time. You know. Yeah, yeah I know. But yeah. yeah, but yeah, the the group thing uh, mm -hmm. is is uh, yeah I, I can't do it. Well, I often mingled with groups because of one person. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. So. Mm. That's what I'm talking about. That, I mean, that's a real interest. I mean, that's a real job. You're making that a job to like be alone, to be a loner. To uh, be yeah, but I, I, th I think it, it conforms to some kind of like inner, like whatever. That if, if you learn yourself, what, how you fun, you know, like my job is to, is to make art. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I have to do. And I have to maintain some sort of equilibrium, you know, and, Stay off like you were talking earlier about like doing whatever, getting suicidal or whatever other darkness that right. always nips at me. It's there every fucking day, you know. Like mm -hmm. there's darkness, mm -hmm. but like 
yeah, there there has to be a lot of solitude, you know, like, okay. and I've tried, you know, I've I've repeatedly failed at you know romantic relationships for one reason or another, yeah. and it's just. I'm at a point now, like where it seems like maybe it's better this way. I'll just live in the fucking monastery and it's fine. Your own monastery. Yeah, mine. Because an actual monastery would drive you crazy. No, no, yeah, I don't want to be around all those fucking men. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like men very much, as a rule. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I get along with women. uh, Yeah, on average, better. Um, Not just romantically, but just as like friend level. I, I can do that. I had a succession of female friends that were not ever... The, the more successful friendships are the ones where we never got entangled in any other way. You know? <laughs> well, I wasn't, I wasn't being like dismissive when I suggested that that was, you know, took a lot of work on your part because I also realized there's a part of that that's natural. Yeah. And for me, I think I was less... Um, do you have siblings? Two younger brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes right. that makes it because well, all of this stuff adds up, like you know, like it all. Yeah. You know, but I'm the everything. Oldest, I'm the oldest. Yeah, uh, yeah, and so, like, I had to do stuff first. And, right. And uh, you leave first. Yeah. yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I like my my folks don't like this this analogy very much, but I love it. Like you know the the burnt pancake theory. Okay. But well, children one is just a the first one is like yeah, yeah you try, it's all fucked up right. like. Throw that one to the dog. And then, then by the second or third one, you, you get a good, like, right. the even flame and stuff. So I'm the burnt pancake. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, well, that's, <laughs> I don't know why they don't like that analogy. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, how do your siblings like it? Because that implies that they're the good pancakes. They probably don't uh, feel very much like the good pancakes. Uh, I don't, yeah, they're different. I, you know, I have two brothers. One is three and a half years younger. The other is almost 19 years younger. Yeah, that. It's like me and my older brother. Yeah, it's a weird, but it's the same parents. Yeah, yeah it's all the yeah. It's sort of like they had like a, not a do-over, but they kind of started over. I think it saved their marriage. So it's like they practically burnt that first pancake, and then just waited a while before they made it. Well, they had the, I, I think uh, they also probably wouldn't admit to, but I think the second one, uh, my middle brother Boris is. I think he's the only one that was sort of planned. Yeah. And like they had, like they, yeah. I think the me and Max, the baby, are oops babies. Yeah. I'm allegedly the the product of their first night together. Was not my my mom was married before she was in medical school wow. in, in Russia. But like you know back then, you know people would just get married just to fuck. You know like yeah. that's why they got married right. because you were it was frowned upon even right. the, even in the people's utopia of the Soviet Union. <laughs> you know, the work the workers' paradise as they like to ro- leave you alone in a room with somebody unless you were married. Romanticize it here, but yeah, it was it was very very uptight about certain things. You know. You know, I haven't encountered too many things that people describe as paradise that weren't like uptight and full of shit. And, yeah. You know. Yeah, paradise and, is not. Yeah. And you kind of look at them and go like, okay, this is the thing that you think is paradise, like right now. You know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, it's all. I mean, that's that same process, though. I think Dimitri is that. What's that? Like, 
you know, who would I have been if I had encountered other people who were as weird as me mm. earlier? Yeah. You know, would I have been as, you know, when I was 13, would I have been writing poems about suicide when I was 13? Yeah. If I had met one other person who was also writing poems about suicide, mm. you know what I mean? And then the two of you kind of go like, oh, you, you sort of let each other stop writing poems about suicide. Mm-hmm. I don't know, yeah. you know, it's like, but you don't know, because no. you didn't live that life, so you never know, but I have examples of where I can, I can measure the difference between who I was, or who I was allowing myself to be, because mm-hmm. I was always the person, Yeah. right, and then I got to this one drunken year, basically, at this college, and became more fully myself, Yeah. not a different person, but more fully myself, and it was because... I was encountering people who were allowing me, giving me space to be more fully myself. Mm. So when, you know, they, they didn't, I didn't feel repulsed by them and they weren't repulsed by me. Yeah. You know, or I didn't have to do, I mean, in my high school, you know, I, you know, I still have a couple of friends who I, you know, I treasure from those days, mm. but actually both of them were, we were more friends after high school than during high school. One yeah. Of them was, really good friend of mine was a couple years ahead of me so we actually became friends later when I was in that first year at that college mm. and we had we were sharing that experience of him being at some college and me being yeah. at the college but I also I think because of the res I had a, a built in social animal thing which is mm. you know because people often gathered yeah. in each other's homes or in, on the res where I grew up there was a place called the round hall mm. where there were regularly scheduled public gatherings yeah. where people would make music whether it was fiddle music or drum music right. and eat and you know have fun and laugh and tell stories and dance and um, I like that stuff you yeah. know? so I guess maybe different than you I was always sort of missing that wanting that so I was looking for ways the communal thing yeah, yeah, yeah. ways to be part of something but I always had to like leave part of myself behind in or you know, in Michigan at this yeah. school, in order to fit in, mm. you know, I had to stand in lots of group, you know, in, in amidst a lot of people who were saying things that I wanted to challenge, mm-hmm. and often couldn't because I knew I'd be the only person in the room that would challenge it and things like uh, that, you know. Yeah. But then after a certain point, I just said, "Fuck it, I don't care." Right. And I became the person who challenged everything. You mm. know? And you know, when somebody was being an asshole toward a woman, I... Was that after your year of college, would you say? No, or it was before. It was before. Yeah. You already yeah. had that changed about you. And then it became like, you know, I sort of knew, like I've, I've told people before, like when I was 10, yeah. I had this kind of argument with my mother, you know, she was using the N-word. Mm. Yeah. And I said, Mother, your best friend at work yeah. is an N-word. Right. You know, is a black yeah. woman. And she's like the nicest person to you at work. Yeah. And she goes, wow. And she, it's, it's almost like she never thought of it. You sure. Know? And, yeah. and it wasn't even, she really didn't even mean to use the No, but she, I'm sure she had just been raped. That was normal yeah, right, yeah. in the community she grew up. That, that was a word you just used casually like any other word. So it was hard. That's so hard. I mean, we're going through so much of that now with the language changes, like what you call people with right. all the pronoun shit. Right, right, right. Like, and uh, like, there's so many like 
fucking asshole old people that are bitching about it. But like, that it's a small price to pay to feel a little uncomfortable, like before or pausing for a second yeah. to treat somebody with some fucking respect. Yeah. You know, that's the thing that they really hate. Yeah, yeah, because you're being forced, forced to, to, to acknowledge, think, consider other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But just, yeah, the yeah. words like the, the N word. Yeah, yeah that, that was there's just normal. That's what you did. Yeah. Uh, so you, I used it when I was a kid. Of course. But never until I left the res. Yeah. It wasn't until I got to the white world and I learned it from all the white kids. Sure. And then it took. It didn't take me long, especially because I was friends with Willie Harris, and I realized that wasn't a nice thing. You know what I mean? And yeah. So I learned it on my own. I had to teach my mother. Mm-hmm. But in that process. I learned how to confront somebody that I loved mm-hmm. and who loved me. Yeah. And like really convince them that, that they had a behavior or a way of thinking that needed to change. Yeah. And sort of at 10, I decided, okay, this I'm always going to do this. Yeah. And Call people out. I, yeah, yeah. And especially like with violent. Like I will always, I decided, okay, I'm going to be a guy who interferes when other men are violent with women. Or yeah. other boys or yeah. whatever, you know. I sure. just started that yeah. early on. And it often got me into a lot of jams. Yeah. You know, but I was lucky that I was kind of bigger I was big and healthy and But you also uh, unfortunately you grew up with an example of that in your right. in your home. Yeah. Like you saw that. Right. Like what that did. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't want to get into my therapy experiences, but I've had therapists <laughs> tell me like, Do you know how rare it is for someone to grow up the way you did and it makes you not and not be a not a wife yeah, beater, yeah, yeah. you know, because it's so easy to just emulate that, and it's so ingrained in you. And there've actually, if I'm honest, there've been moments in my life when I, I know that my body, yeah, when you want stuff, you, you want to hit somebody, yeah, my yeah. body learned yeah. that stuff, you know. So, yeah. yep, yeah, it's that's it, it's very hard. You, you have to fight that. You have to do a lot of work on yourself. To, <laughs> To get away from that. <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, you and I aren't besties by any means, but yeah. I guess there are reasons why people sort of feel okay with each other. Yeah, yeah. You know, I haven't, I mean, I know it doesn't, you know, it, it's not difficult to piss off Dimitri or to just make Dimitri say, I, I, I've had enough of this or enough of you. No, yeah. And I, I, I haven't I'm, done that to you yet. No. Right? No, it, it's it, it's not that it's it, it's easy to piss me off. Until now. No, no, yeah, this is it. Yeah, this is the moment for our final conversation, which is being recorded. <laughs> no, hardly. Yeah. It, it's not, it will not be our final conversation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, my my interactions, the relationships with people are can be fraught, or like I, you know, there there's there's just. There are cultural divides that I've just never, I've never completely assimilated like an American way of getting along with people and smoothing things over and holding back. Yeah. That's so natural here. Like you hold back and you do this passive aggressive thing where you think what you're thinking about a person never comes to the surface, you know? Mm-hmm. You talk about them behind their backs. Mm-hmm. You don't, you smile on their faces and I just fucking don't, yeah. you know, like... And that, that turns a lot of people off, and I'm totally fine with that. I mean, you know, we, I mean, we met, you know, through a person I no longer talk to, mm. <laughs> you know, whose name I'm not going to use, right. because using their name is, like, causes nothing but, like, strife and, you know, conflict. Right. Uh, <laughs> and someone who I'm still friends with, and I'm, 
fine with. And I'm totally fine with you being friends with them. Because, like, to me, friendship is not a team sport. Everybody, you're so lucky to find somebody you get along with. Like, that's a precious thing. Why would I shit on that? Like, when my friend is friends with somebody I don't like, that's fine. That's that's not... (laughs) So, yeah, I... I try to I try to shoot as straight as I can, you know, and people get sick of that and it's it's exhausting, I know, and it's it's not comfortable. And I'm not gonna make nice. When you know, like but like if I like you, I I'll I'll make lots of effort. You know, like I'll go I go out of my way for friends, you know, I would say that. But I don't have many. I don't let that many people in. I'm like not an open book, I'm not <laughs> Except for your books. Yeah. Yeah. Those are Not right. especially easygoing, you know. But, and, but the, one of the beauties of, like, you know, getting older is you just let, you stop trying to be, like, what you're not, you know. Mm-hmm. And just, you accept. It's not that I'm super thrilled with the way I am. It's just, like, this is it. This is, these are the tools that I have to work with. And I have to optimize them the best way I can, you know. And... I try to be as upfront with people as I can be. This is what you're going to get, you know, and pe- people run away horrified all the time. <laughs> you know? And I don't blame them. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you and I have have some 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 kind of unspoken understanding, you know. I don't have that with that many people, you know, but we we seem to see eye to eye. Yeah. Which is nice. Which is like one of the reasons we're sitting here having this this conversation. Yeah. I would you remember um that night we both ended up in the same little restaurant in Hyde Park? I guess down by uh, you know for that uh, we were going for that anthology. Oh oh the poetry yeah, thing. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And we were I was sitting there in a restaurant with my sweetheart Susan and a friend of mine from out of town, a writer, sitting in the restaurant and then you walked in. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You, and turn, I said, "Hey, Dimitri, this is, is that a Medici or or is it like one of those places?" Yeah. Right. Anyway, places. yeah, you walked in and you sat down with us, and and my friend who was there, yeah, the first time he ever met you, he's from yeah. out of town, he's never seen you yeah. again, but his impression of you was like one of the most like effusive and outgoing and compelling yes. and funny and laughing and entertaining well, you know, like in the world, you know, and I was like. I, that's the most I've ever seen Dimitri that way ever in my life. You know, you know like Walt Whitman said, we, we, we all contain multitudes. <laughs> no, but beca- the reason that can happen is because I saw people I was already well disposed to, right, you, and right, Su- right. you and Susan, so I could be that way. But I'm also a person that is totally comfortable not... I don't do small talk. I, I'm comfortable with silences, and most people are not, especially in this culture. Sure. Like, you fill in the gaps here, and I don't. I'll just sit. If, after I've, if I don't have anything to say, you know, I'll just sit yeah. and just look around or look at a person. Listen. And, and it's not, listen. listen, yeah. I'm actually, weirdly, a, a pretty good listener, you know? I mean, I need it for the, the stuff I do, because I need to listen and, and look at people to... <laughs> But uh, it's unnerving, though. To I've I've learned repeatedly, you know, to do to be that way. <laughs> but I also know, and Susan even noticed it too, because her experience with you is even less than mine. Yeah. But even she noticed. She's like, I would have. I'm. She was almost surprised that you were so quick to like join us. Mm. 
you know, because she seems like you're the kind of guy who, like, most of the time prefers his own company. Mm. Or might be somewhere, like, this is my chance. Yeah. I'm going to be hanging out with people a half hour from now, so I'm going to spend time by myself now. Or something, yeah. like, you know, like writing or scribbling or doing whatever, drawing or what, you know. You know, people who draw, you know, they're, like, always sitting somewhere, like, looking at people drawing, right? I mean, that's our Absolutely. that's our concept of it. Weirdos, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> if, if that had happened, you would walked in there and said, you know what, I'm going to get a, yeah. a table, but I wouldn't have yeah. flinched at that either. Yeah, you and, yeah, I mean, different days are different. Like, if you caught me on a different day, I guess on, on that day I was better disposed towards people. And, really, that was, that was probably the best part of that whole after evening or whatever yeah, the then there, was that, there was that crazy tornado yeah. we had to sit in the bomb shelter basically <laughs> and the event was it was really did you get to see out the windows up there before they made us go downstairs you could see one side oh, was okay. the sky was black yeah and the and then the other side was like yeah. sunshine mm-hmm. it was an amazing place to watch like the weather changes before they made us go downstairs for an hour well but, you you bicycled on over to the venue Yes. After we got done eating, and we went to that little bookstore that you don't like um, to, take yeah, speaking our, to take our friend there. Speaking yeah, of my, yeah. my many conflicts. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Oh, did you go to 57th Street or probably? The one that's, yeah, yeah, that's a couple steps 57th down. 57th Street, yeah. but it's part of uh, seminary. the Seminary yeah, Co-op. Right. I always yeah. mix those two up. But, you know, it's, it's another case of me. For me, it's like they've always been really nice to me. Of course. In either, either of those venues. They had been nice yeah. to me at, until they weren't. Right. Uh, yeah. So funny, <laughs> funny that... Now we'll talk about this publicly. Yeah. So we took our my friend over there, the writer mm-hmm. friend of mine from out of town. Yeah. Because you know, he likes bookstores and stuff. And was he in um, the anthology, or was he just hanging out with you guys? He, he just happened to be. Oh, he was, he was in Chicago to catch a flight. The next oh day yeah, yeah, right. He's to join his wife in Italy or something. Right. Yeah. And so anyway, um, so we go there and we step in, and I happen to like not have put my mask on. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And somebody just turned to me and said. You have to have a mask. I mean, like it was like the most rude way yeah, yeah. they could have done. It. You know, like, it wasn't necessary, and I just yeah. went like, "Oh, I kind of don't like this." Yeah. Like, I, if I'd been by myself, I would have just said, oh, "Okay, I was gonna put on my mask, but yeah. because of the way you just asked me to, exactly, I'm not gonna come in." Yeah, you know what I mean? Because I can be a, a grumpy guy too. Yeah. Know? So, um, but it was kind of funny because then my friend says, "Oh." Is this why Dimitri doesn't like this place or something? Because you'd said, no, I'm not going to, you know, yeah. you weren't going to go over But it was just like that weird little glimpse of it, you know? No, Dimitri doesn't like that place because yeah. the guy who runs it refuses to stock my books because I'm not part of Ingram. So I'm not oh. part of the Death Star. And then okay. we had this whole long exchange where you, you keep putting it off. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. my, my, my team is meeting and then we're going we're gonna to get the stuff in there, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. then after a while, it was clear that it was not happening because I'm, publishing my books myself, right. uh, basically I told him that he was running an Ingram kiosk. His mm. store is not an independence. Right. He's just, he's a friend, you know, it's like his own McDonald's, like selling books. Mm. And he didn't, he didn't enjoy that because that's not how he likes to see himself. Mm. But on the same, on the other hand, he kept trying to like, oh, let, let's have lunch. I, I really value your contribution to Chicago's literary right. community. Well, why don't you fucking show that by stocking my books, asshole? Yeah, yeah. So that's why... That's... Sorry, Jeff Deutsch. <laughs> you can, you're not listening to this, so I don't give a fuck. But like, that's my beef with that place. Yeah. I've done lots of shit with them. I designed art for them. I've done events. Like, mm-hmm. 
I, it may have been before he came along to run it, or I yeah, I, I'd done stuff for years with them, with Fifty Seventh Street specifically, and yeah, he, he really sort of shit on that whole relationship. And yeah, there's a couple of places like that in the in the book world. It's not all sunshine and puppies, unfortunately. Well, it's uh, it. <laughs> I mean, it's that whole you know that that whole dynamic of like being an independent bookstore and not. Yeah. Or being a monster, you know, yeah. online or whatever, kind of happened, you know, during our li- our our lifetimes growing up, right? Sure. Because I mean, when I was a kid, every bookstore was like an independent little bookstore. Yeah. You know, and then the and, big ones came. Yeah, right. You know, the, um, in the mall. Things that the kids don't know yeah, about, like yeah, border right. borders. That wasn't one was long extinct. Walton's was it one? Walden. Yeah. Walden. Walden books. Yeah, Walden books. Walden books. Which early here here there was Crocs and Britanos, oh, you know, a couple other things, but yeah. But I went to a reading in the 90s, somewhere like in Old Town, mm-hmm. some bookstore. Barbara's? And I, I, don't, I, don't yeah. know, I don't know which, what it was. But we went to see a, like a, a writer who's kind of off the radar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we afterward we went out to get drinks together and stuff. Yeah. He's from out of town, a native guy, actually. And, and I mm-hmm. said, so how did you end up at the reading there? And he goes, well, I try to, you know support the indie indie bookstores you know yeah la 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 um he said so you know i try to you know specifically we hunt we look for them you know yeah and i said well that's good you know i said but you know locally we all wonder why this place has that reputation of because they don't have our books yeah all of us like little piddly writers here in chicago none of our books are in their bookstore Mm. You know, and he was like, "Well, geez, I didn't, I wouldn't know that." You know, yeah. And it's like, well, yeah. I mean, you obviously don't have time to look. Um, but I wasn't the one who said that so much because I didn't even have a book then at the time. Mm-hmm. But somebody else like made that point, and it got me thinking of like, that is true. Like, at a certain point, you people just don't stock your book. No. And like, what is that point? You know what I mean? And, you know when uh, was it PJ? Who was it? not PJ Harvey? Annie DeFranco that was doing the she was producing her own records, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and pressing them and everything. Right? Yeah, she was a pretty early. Yeah, yeah. and that PJ seemed to be like a reason that people bought her music. Yeah, right. Yeah, and but somehow that doesn't translate to books. No, uh, people. Uh, the, the whole bookstore and probably not often the music either. system it, it it works a lot more in music uh, or the, it's like record stores will stock your weird record a lot faster than a bookstore yeah. I have personal a lot of personal experience yeah, okay. with this at trying to get my books into bookstores yeah. uh, where you have to have a personal relationship and you have to have an employee make a page on their website because it's not part of Ingram Ingram is like basically the only game in town for distribution of books in America uh, and it's that means so like if you search you go in the search box on any indie bookstore what you're searching is the catalog of Ingram it's not it's very rarely their own database right. it's it's every book that Ingram can deliver them to the from their warehouses from the, their and if you're not in that you you don't exist sure. unless a, an employee takes the time to make a page for your book and there's, like, at this point, uh, six or seven bookstores in the world that will do that mm-hmm. for me, you oh, know? Yeah. Where I have personal relationships with people that I've developed over years, you know? Uh, but, yeah, it's it's a lot of, like, 
banging outside of the pal the you know like it's like it's definitely a Kafka type situation yeah. where you're banging on the gates and not being allowed into the city <laughs> you know because it's much easier to just not do that you know not to take the time but then out of the other sides of their mouths people like Jeff Deutsch are like champions of independent whatever thought this that the other uh, and yeah they they don't like when it's pointed out to them that they don't always do that. Uh, well, I know. <laughs> I don't like it when people point out to me that I'm not who I think I am. You know what I mean? Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so. No, nobody likes that. Yeah. And, yeah, if you're going to be like a... a but rain, I usually appreciate it in some way and try to say, like, wow, you're right. And, I, I like it. I, I, if you want to get my attention, like, tell, tell me something I said was full of shit, you know, yeah. like... Like you pointed out to me, like in one of my newsletters, I used flippantly used the term uh, "low man on the totem pole." Oh right. Which you wrote to me about, yeah. and yeah, I did that unthinkingly, the way that like your mom used the N word. Right. You know, I did that, yeah. and that didn't make me like stop talking to you. I totally appreciated that, and we need to do that. You know. <laughs> well, I also didn't say, "Hey, asshole." Yeah, yeah. You you gonna, did it very, very, very nicely. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, I did that. That was not a thing I did with consideration, and it didn't... The thing I wrote did not suffer any for me changing the wording of that. And that was one of those rare, satisfying moments for me as a Native person in America where I could actually make contact with yeah. a moment like that and have yeah. an effect on it, like change it. Or Absolutely. Whatever. Or yeah. even just reach the person who said it yeah, because you know, often, I mean, if I watch any American TV at all, yeah, um, especially the news and stuff, eventually, every day, yeah, I'll hear somebody say, "Well, they kind of went off the reservation with that." Oh yeah, yeah. Or you know, yeah. well, if that judge decides to go off the reservation, blah blah yeah. blah, and I and but you can't contact those people. Yeah, I mean, they have you know, send us an email or a Twitter. You know, I don't like do Twitter either. or whatever, so I don't. I can't. You know, the plastic yeah. people in the suits that yeah. That, it's bizarre that they still like that whole the the news ritual like that it's continued to this like these people sitting around a desk reading off a teleprompter dressed like they're like some kind of like I don't know Stepford wife people from the right. 50s yeah. still it's bizarre. I never watch it I don't watch well this tends to TV, be people but, who are like one of their panels you know yeah right when they're off at, yeah they're opinionating right. or yeah. So opinionizing. It's, it's, I guess I should say news heads, not really news. Yeah. But it's still, it's like, it's built in and... Yeah. So, in some cases, these people often, in every other way, they would consider themselves even like woke and aware of all this sure. stuff. And then you have, but it take you. It would take me two minutes to say like, okay, so, you know that reservations were concentration camps. Yeah. And that it was illegal for Native people to leave their reservation once they mm -hmm. were put there. So, so going, what you're saying going it's off, not an analogy makes going makes off no the sense. reservation wasn't just being wild and crazy. Yeah, it was possibly getting killed or murdered yeah. because you did it. Right. And there are photos of the people from Wounded Knee mm. being thrown into a mass grave because they went off the reservation. Yeah, and that only takes like two minutes, and somebody goes, "Wow." Yeah, I had no idea. What That's not what they meant to be saying. Right. But yeah. yeah, a certain kind of person will appreciate you pointing that out, but most people will not. Right. Like people like Jeff Deutsch would not appreciate that. Right. <laughs> well, Sorry, Jeff. I keep yeah. talking about you. I've never, I've never even met the fucker in person. <laughs> yeah. 
So that's what this my my one talk with Dimitri is going to end up being. Yeah, the Jeff Deutsch, con, you know, the nah. Jeff Deutsch thing, you know. Nobody and did. I don't even know who he is. But before we get too far from it, I feel the same way about Mount Rushmore. Like when people say, "Well, who's on your Mount Rushmore of filmmakers?" <laughs> and I'll say, "You know what Mount Rushmore is? That's not that's not like yeah. an image of like the four greatest somethings." Mm-hmm. It's, you know, four pretty much native-hating yeah. former presidents, yeah. you know, um, who've put their, someone has put their faces on the most sacred place mm-hmm. in native, yeah. the native world, you know, so um, we, we, that expression is insulting. Well, in, that's in what, the same way. I mean, if you, you know, if you're going to be a colonist, that's what you do. Right. Like, that's, that's, it's like putting a... What, an exclamation point on it, right? Sure. Like, <laughs> well, one of the first things I say to my students, I have a, I have a class at DePaul where I'm, a, and they're nice enough to let me sort of like expose mostly non, you know, non-native young people to native ideas and thoughts mm-hmm. and experiences and books and, and ideas yeah. and things. And one of the first things I tell them is that it, it's kind of like this: native people are, you know, in general, in general terms, you know, stand in front of a mountain and you know they say, "Wow." That's beautiful. Uh-huh. I want I want that to be there when my grandchildren mm. can so their grandchildren yeah. can see it. And then an American stands in front of the mountain and goes, "Wow, I want to carve my face on that." Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. And that's and it's, <laughs> it's completely unfair. It's a complete generalization, yeah. but it's also true. It's it like makes a point that we can start from, and it's like about it's yeah. it has to do with like the origin stories that people have and and. You know, their ideas like how they encounter the world, you know. And there's a different, you know, those two people, you know, the person who looks at a lake and says, I want to get a, um, a jet ski and make a lot of noise on that lake. Yeah. You know, that person and the person who says, I want to sit here and look at that lake and listen to the loons in the morning across yeah, the Yeah, sure. Those yeah, two it's... people are usually not the same person. You know? yeah. And they usually don't hang out together. <laughs> yeah, the... The idea of the the, the uh, European settlers on this continent was uh, that had developed over centuries was was to harness nature and to make it do your will. Right. Like that's that's the that's the idea that they came right. from. Right. It's just a very different philosophy of living. I mean, you can argue whichever way, but like it's just a very different sure. idea, and that's where. Like all these horrible deals that they made with the various tribes, never mind subjugating them. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like a, it was a semantics thing problem, you know. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Like not understanding what what was being negotiated, you know. Like even even, let's say like that like these Westerners came with the best intentions. Like it was still not they were not talking about the same thing. I think right. you know what I mean. Yeah. No, I don't get. I mean. The whole like this idea of owning land, hmm. I, I'm a lifelong renter. I don't know, yeah. like, which I'm super like I'm really into. I, I think, I like the idea that I'm paying some. Like I, I know what I'm getting. You know, mm-hmm. a, a thing that we both agreed to. But like right. the idea of me owning a thing, I, I don't know. I don't think we own anything. Except somebody we owns use, the thing that you're renting. Yeah. 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 But so. ideally, they wouldn't. But like that's right, yeah. you know, I'm, I haven't been appointed king of the world, so like, <laughs> many things would change, some for for better and some for worse. I wouldn't appoint myself that. I wouldn't want to be 
that responsibility anyways. <laughs> well, of the, the many years that I've spent in you know, semi-skilled and you know, unskilled and semi-skilled labor jobs, yeah. I've, I've grown to appreciate people who can build things that I can rent. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that helps Absolutely. me a lot. And then it takes somebody to like own it and finance it so that I can rent it and things. And, and sure. this is, you know, uh, you know, this is the second time in my life that I've owned a home. Yeah. Oh, you own this place? Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. And um, and that's mostly because of my sweetheart. She she was like less tolerant of rent. Mm. And actually, you know, she made a pretty good sales pitch to me on it. You know, I mean, the whole idea of like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's a waste. You know, it's, it's for my what I plan to do over the next fifteen years of my life. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So how did you uh, kind of? move away gradually away from like these jobs like like on the exploration and stuff and these oh, like unskilled job yeah quote unquote manual labor jobs. manual labor yeah. jobs using my body more than my brain or head right head. Yeah. like what what when did that change or how did that it was what happened there was a real obvious moment oh there I, was yeah i got divorced mm -hmm. in 2004 okay i had already and you were in I wisconsin was, i was all yeah right? i was in door county but yeah. i was also like here in chicago i became a laborer who also sometimes a couple nights a month could go somewhere and get paid to read poetry mm. or even travel across the country. This is in the late 90s? Yeah, it would 90, be? yeah, yeah. through the yeah. 90s, yeah. yeah. And actually at a certain point, being a writer and doing speaking engagements mm -hmm. became you know, um, a dependable part of my income Yeah, at a certain point in the late 90s and into the early 2000s. Um, but I always had to have that job. Yeah, you know, and because I had no college degree, right? You know, I would read. You know, I would read at the University of Nebraska, let's say, mm -hmm. and somebody there would say, like, "Hey, I really like the way you interacted with my students today, and mm -hmm. you know, we have an opening for a poet next year. You should yeah. apply for it." I'd say, yeah. "Well, I don't have a degree." Yeah, and they would say, "Are you sure you don't have a degree?" And I'd say, "Well, yeah, I was there. I know I don't have one. I was yeah. drunk, and I, you know, I, you know, I, I was a." And the places really require that credits. because I've I've had I taught a couple of classes in the middle of COVID a couple oh, of years ago. Okay, it was an emergency well, thing, but I don't have a grad degree. Right. Well, these are in order to be hired as like a tenure track teacher or something. I, I think yeah. I think they they make up those rules as they go. Well, like, I'm, like, I'm not like, sure. I think I think anyway <laughs> they have job descriptions and they and they, they require they, they say require, yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, so you wouldn't take you wouldn't right. take them up on it, and um, they would be surprised that I didn't have a degree. And I'd say, well, I may have enough credits to be a sophomore, mm, yeah. you know, from that one drunken year at Grand yeah. Valley. And I kept hearing this so often, yeah, that my friends who did have degrees but no jobs, yeah, would say, "Come on, dumbass, go, go get a degree. You, yeah. you yeah. should do that." Yeah. Like, I wish people were inviting me to apply for jobs. Right. And I have a degree, you know? And so yeah. I, I, it seemed like, wow, I might be missing an opportunity mm. here. Yeah. These jobs were, like, destroying my body. Yeah. And they were mostly, you know, dead end. You know, yeah. There was, they had their limitations. So after I got divorced, I was free to, like, change my life in other ways. Yeah. And one of the ways was to explore this idea of going back to school. Mm-hmm. And I even had to have people say to me like, "No, don't go back, don't go back to get an undergrad degree. Go back, like, go get an MFA." Yeah. 
And I'm sure that there are some MFAs who will let you, they'll ignore the fact you don't have a, a bachelor's degree and let you get in the MFA. And I yeah. found out that was true. You know, That's so what you did in was so, it Central Michigan? Yeah, went Western. Western Michigan. No, right. Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo, yeah. yeah. And uh, Stu Dybeck was still teaching there at the time, and I already knew him. We had read together a few times mm -hmm. in Chicago. So um, I went, you know, they were really nice. They made me a nice offer there, and my mother yeah. was still alive at the time. And mm. the rest of my, you know, the white side of my family was still yeah. alive there in Michigan. And, um, so um, I just decided to do that. And three years later, I, this, a month after I turned 50 years old, I got my MFA. Mm. And I've basically been teaching full time since then. Did you get you, you got the DePaul job straight out of there or uh, no? I, did, I took one, a one year gig. I knew it was a one year gig yeah. at the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, mm. um, and they were people who had like sort of approached me and said, like, yeah. "Hey, we heard you're doing this. You know, yeah. let us know when you're done or whatever." And we have this you know one year appointment that we do with a different writer. So I was like a, a visiting native writer there, you know. Mm. Um, and it was a chance to be back among native people again. Yeah. There's so, you know, if you don't like live in a community, it's really yeah. hard to spend time with native people. Like in a way, the native literary community is almost like my, you know, my tribal nation, you know, because yeah. they're the natives that I spend the most time with. Um, and that works out pretty good. Actually, in a, you know, a lot of ways I, I tend to be kind of a loner too. Yeah. You know, um. It's just one reason is because it's just kind of easy. You know? <laughs> I don't have to like, you know, like wash my hair and like you know and stuff. You know? <laughs> Shave and stuff. I don't know. Um, well, I do that for my wife, I guess. Yeah. 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 Sometimes. But um, so I just went from like that. You know, I, I kind of had to go into debt, even though I, yeah, I was given really great offers and opportunities by Western Michigan. I was also a grown-up man who had a lifetime of bills and debt and child sure. support and yeah. all this stuff, so yeah. I couldn't just stop being a laborer yeah. and go to school. I had to figure out, but I also didn't have the brain to be a laborer and go to school, because mm. it was full-time. I had to go yeah. to school full-time, and sure. I went all summer, too. Mm. So I did some small, like, little, you know, handyman jobs for people, but I also had to borrow some money yeah. to keep you know, keep things floating. I had car payments, you know, child support, and all kinds of stuff. And so, um, but still, it changed my life, you know. And so after, after the, the place in Santa Fe, then you ended up back in Chicago? Yeah. yeah. For, I was, which is, yeah. I was traveling from Santa Fe at the time. Uh, Susan was in Atlanta, mm. uh, working and living there. Yeah. So I was journeying from, you know, I was going to go spend the summer with her. Yeah. And driving there, a good friend of mine, uh, texted me or called me or something and yeah. said, hey, I see DePaul's got a a visiting writer or visiting yeah. assistant professor gig or something like that. And, you know, and I was like, geez, you know, I, I didn't even job hunt mm. when I left that school. You know, I like wasn't really planning. That's and, pretty good. That's and so good I time. pulled over like at a truck yeah. stop and yeah. went in and, you know, or not went in, sat yeah. in my car with my laptop yeah. and applied online. Yeah. Got back in my car, started driving across Texas again, going eastward, and I got a phone call from yeah. DePaul. Someone said, "Hey, we got your application this morning, and we'd like to have you come in for an interview." Yeah. And can you be here? Can you do it tomorrow? And I was like, "Sure." I didn't tell him like I mean, yeah. So I just turned left at like, yeah. 
you know, <laughs> Texarkana and just right. hauled ass toward uh, Chicago and interviewed the next day. Got back in my car, mm. started driving back toward Atlanta and somewhere yeah. in southern Ohio, I got a call and a job offer. That's great. On my way yeah. to Atlanta. It was like, boom, instant day. It was like kind of meant to be. And I started to remember as I became aware of like the campus and, you know, started working there. That, that was in the fall of 09. Mm-hmm. I remembered thinking, I remember being on the train and thinking, how cool is it that the train like runs right through the middle of this campus? Yeah. You know, and I actually did a couple gigs at DePaul, like in the, um, you know, like what do you call it? God, I can't even, what do you call the open space on a campus where the quad? Quadra- quadra- yeah, the yeah. quad, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that's how out of touch I am with my campus. <laughs> there was there was a big uh, indie magazine festival there. Oh yeah, and they had a bunch of us reading on a yeah. stage. Um, right. You know, David Hernandez and Batya Goldman started right. all that thing. As that was in the mid nineties. Yeah, when I did, I was like a pretty new person to be on a bill like that, but it was really cool. So I'd actually read there and stuff, and then, you know, and another weird association is that Kenmore Avenue is the, my building is on Kenmore Avenue, mm-hmm. and Kenmore Avenue. At Belmont, yeah, was my intro to Chicago. Like when that friend of mine, oh yeah, Suzanne said, "Hey, yeah. why don't you live in my basement for a month while you remodel, you know, remodel uh, it?" Yeah, you know, that was at Kenmore and Belmont. You know, so that was my intro neighborhood mm. to Chicago. Yeah, in the '90s, which was a pretty cool, pretty cool location in the '90s. Yeah, back then there was like the alley was there and that gigantic. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was in art Army, school here. Army Outfitter place. Was I was there, in art so. school here from nine, ninety to ninety three. Oh, so, okay. so I was I was around. Yeah, mm-hmm. I moved away for three after I, I graduated in ninety three and moved away. So my boom time like was like I won the Gwendolyn Brooks Award in the summer of ninety three, mm-hmm. and that was when all of a sudden people started paying yeah. money to like read poetry. Right. And, you know, it was in the slam scene and all those different scenes. Okay. Stuff. Yeah. Um, it's pretty good. Of, um, have you heard me read or not? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, I've heard you. Yeah, you know, a couple, a couple of times. People I, consider I, me a pretty good reader. You know, you're a really good reader. Yeah, I heard you read at a thing. Oh, it was the the dieback thing at the Poetry Foundation, and then also at the at the oh at, right at the poetry launch of his poems. at that poetry book launch. A couple other times, I think. Another time, first time I heard you read was at that uh, Hopleaf. Oh yeah! Oh, the uh, Tuesday Funk or something. Tuesday like that? Funk, yeah. yeah. Tuesday Funk. And we saw. I had only met you previously because of a cab ride. Yeah. Someone. So that me. was probably from the like the cab book or like still yeah, or yeah yeah it's probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you were kind of like the featured reader, and somebody else. Yeah. Somebody who knew somebody said, "Hey, you should get Mark Turk out to come here and read." Yeah. And, um, right. That's so true. Yeah. That. Yeah. They they didn't start that back up again after after COVID. Yeah. Yeah, I think those people have moved on, or like it hasn't started again. But most of most of those reading series died yeah. during those years, the couple of COVID years. Hmm. Uh, I mean, to the point where like, where like the last couple of books I put, well, I put out a couple of books during COVID lockdown, yeah. and then but then this last one that I just gave you, the paint by numbers, right. and it's not really a book. It's not a book to read from exactly. It's not wasn't designed that way. Yeah. But I, I had a really hard time finding any kind of publicity type thing that I could mm-hmm. do except for a couple of podcasts. You know, I did yeah. some podcasts, but uh, and yeah, I yeah, I have a fraught relationship with reading yeah. out loud. But 
But yeah, yeah, you're amazing at it. But you, like, mm-hmm. you're you're one of the better readers I've ever heard. I'd say, <laughs> you know, uh, and yeah, I think. Yeah, I, uh, but here's a question then. Yeah, with poetry, I mean. The, you need more coffee, by the way. No, I'm good. Uh, that whole but, pot was for you. <laughs> now the pressure is on. You've got to finish it. No, but, uh, we'll save it for iced coffee. I mean, do you think about it? Uh, the 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 uh, the read aloud versus on the page. Like, what's that that relationship? Since you and you were talking earlier about the slam poetry right. scene, where I mean, a lot of those poems just die on the page. They don't work. You know. Yeah, well, I was, again, different, of course, you know. And I know I'm not, you're not the only one, and I'm not the only one who's different, you know. But (laughs) I often feel like I find myself in places Uh where no one like me has ever been before. Mm. You know, like when I got a job at the lumber yard in Door County, I don't think they'd ever had anybody like me at the lumber yard in Door County before, you know. But then I also managed to adapt and, like, be able to, like, be a really good employee for them and I'm yeah. a good truck driver and a good yeah. loader I mean yeah. you know, so I have that ability and I know a lot of artistic let's say people yeah. who can't do that yeah you know like I can't drive that forklift without killing somebody yeah because I'm a painter yeah, yeah you know sorry I've tried and I just can't do it but for somehow for some reason I've been able to do that right so I can be I live mm-hmm. and exist in both of those worlds so when I came into the slam scene I already felt like I've been writing since I was five yeah, and I've been reading poetry to myself and to maybe a yeah. handful of friends over the years, and reading it essentially how I wrote it. Yeah. So I land in Chicago. See, my friend Suzanne, part of her plan for me remodeling her basement yeah. was to get me to stay in Chicago for a month or two, mm. so she could yeah. expose me to Chicago. She'd been like, "Why aren't you living someplace like Chicago?" Right. So her sneaky little plan worked. So she started taking me to venues, and yeah. you know the Guild Complex was going at the Hot House. Yeah, on uh, was it Milwaukee at the time? Right, or the, the original moved, moved the, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that was the old one, the original yeah. one. Um, was it Marguerite? Was the one who owned it at the time? Yeah, uh, she's she's the sister of a guy, oh Horberg. Yeah, yeah. Bill, Bill Horberg, her her brother is a big deal, like Hollywood. Movie oh. producer, yeah, TV show yeah. producer, yeah. who uh, th- that uh, what's it, what's it called? Uh, Firecat Projects, the gallery, oh, run by Stan Klein. Yeah, Stan. That, yeah. yeah. So uh, Bill Horberg's had a couple of art shows there because oh, okay. they worked together. He grew up in Chicago and they worked in movie the- Like in, he ran a movie theater for a while. Oh. He's done a lot of different things, but now and he's semi-retired and he's making art. And uh, but yeah, Marguerite is is his is, oh, is his sister. Yeah, I didn't know Marguerite that well except yeah. that she you know yeah had this venue that you know she generously offered. One of the famous her. characters in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> so my first time you know I read uh, at a guild event there and mm-hmm. happened to be a Native American featured reading mm-hmm. for this guy named E. Donald Two Rivers. I don't know if you remember him from the old days. Mm-mm. Eddie Two Rivers. He was also known as. But I got up there during the open mic yeah. and just read one poem and. Yeah. People like almost gave yeah. me a standing ovation for it. Right. It was like crazy. And then the first time I read at the Green Mill, mm-hmm. you know, I got in the open mic and it was kind of the same reaction. Yeah. And Mark's actually, I ran outside to smoke a cigarette. I was so nervous. Yeah. After I got done reading and he ran out, he introduced the next reader, or t- I guess they took a break. Yeah. He followed me outside. He said, Who the fuck are you? Where'd you come from? You yeah. Know, Smith did that, you know. So 
um, I just did what I was already doing naturally the first time I ever was in those scenes. Mm-hmm. And I did the same thing at the slam that I did at the hot house. Yeah. And then when I read Estelle's, I read it the same way, you know. Yeah. So I didn't adapt, except the slam started to kind of change the way I was writing. Mm. And this is, I was writing, I, I didn't even know about publishing. Who knows, you know, who, who ever heard of publishing, right? Right. Um, but I was getting some reaction, very mm-hmm. public reaction from people. And then I started realizing, you know, I'm writing toward the stage now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Things sure. that, you know, they hit. It's almost like a monologue, right? Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I, lo- I appreciate a lot of things about the slam, but sometimes the slam was just comic monologues. Yeah. It's, it wasn't it's really a lot poems. like a comedian. You know, yeah, it wasn't like really kind of ran- yeah, yeah, and you're calculating your, this is what you're going to get. Here's the punchline. Yeah. Here's the right. you know, here's yeah. my arc. I'm going to yeah. build. I'm going to slow it down. Yeah. Which it's, also can happen in a really great poem or story, too. That's an art too, but it's like to me, to my mind, it's a different art than something on a page. You know, like that's a tension of I've always wrestled with. Yeah. Well, I remember Billy Lombardo way back before I even really knew Billy very well. Actually, um, was it sixty minutes or some CBS news show came in and shot a quickie segment at the mill. Oh yeah. That back during that, which mm-hmm. was the infantile time for mm-hmm. me. And I actually ended up in a little clip oh, yeah. that my brother, who was an interstate truck driver, mm-hmm. happened to see yeah. when he was in some shaggy motel somewhere right. in Iowa or something. He went, I think I just saw my brother's face and voice like on TV. you know. Um, but anyway, they were there, and Billy Lombardo, during the interview part of it, someone asked him, like, well, what is a slam poem? He says, well, a slam poem has to be understood the first time. Mm. And... Hearing him say that, I thought, you know, that's really right. That is like a real difference between, because on a page you can linger, you can stop yeah. and go back, and you yeah, and um, you know, on a live moment, you have to understand, you have to get it right then. You don't say like, hey, could you go back three lines? You know, I didn't understand that. You know, so I appreciated that element of it, but I thought, I can do that. I can be, I think I can be understood the first time on a page too. Mm-hmm. You know, so I didn't really have that divide. Though, I mean, the, the slam was a reaction to, you know, the, the snooty attitude of the page, right? And then mm. the page hated the stage and back and forth. And yeah, um, you could hardly even go between the two at the time, you know. Um, but I just kind of just threw all that aside. I, once I realized I can't let this influence how I write, mm. then I was, you know, then I was aware. So you had to push back against yeah, the, yeah, the performance. Even though, even yeah. though it was very good for me. Yeah. I mean, you can read anywhere once yeah. you've read, like in situations like that. Right. Nothing yeah. scares you anymore and stuff, you know, which helps, you know. Um, I will always, you know, pay tribute, you know, to my experience in, you know, in all the venues in Chicago because there were a million of them. Right. At yeah. the time, you know, they were. But um, ultimately, there, there, there isn't a lot that survives that transition from, mm-hmm. you know. Things that people, you know, like there's some people who can read the fucking phone book, and it's, yeah, it's a miracle. But know? it's yeah, it's 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 in the moment, and it's a performance, yeah. and you have to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's influenced by who's in the room and what they're saying in between the poems, or yeah, who you, know, you follow or who yeah. follows yeah. you, yeah. 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 all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But even I mean, you know, I remember being surprised to find out that you know William Shakespeare considered his written plays just stage directions basically you know it didn't come to life until it was on a stage with all that stuff and that's you know 
you know, mm. one of the greatest writers. <laughs> so it's an interesting thing. Yeah, it's an interesting like. But but do you? I uh, I mean, so is it both the performance and the thing on the page? Is is the thing on the page more, more more for you? Would you say in the end or? Yeah, that's where most of it is. That's where most of it is. Yeah, yeah it's not. That's where it exists. That's where it's. I mean, where it's born is in my head. Yeah. You know, when I was hanging sheetrock yeah. for some guy here in Chicago, yeah. and knowing that I was going to read an open mic that night, mm. as I was hanging sheetrock, I was reciting a poem in my head. Yeah. Because often it was effective to just be able to read from your head, not with a sheet of yeah. paper in your hand or something. Sure. Um, and the slam, it was almost required. Like people oh, you had, had yeah, you, you, yeah, you couldn't have a thing, yeah. So I was like memorizing poems and, and writing poems, creating poems, while I was literally hanging sheetrock. Yeah. So they were, and then by that repetition, then I would remember them and write them down later. Mm. You know, and I haven't published a book since two thousand two. I know. So <laughs> yeah. So what's up yeah, with that, yeah, Mark? Well, I mean, part of it is that thing is that for me. <laughs> the, the poetry exists without that goal of like making books. Yeah, because that's how it existed for me before. Mm-hmm. And I've I've written and published. You know, people have asked me, "Hey, have you got a poem about this?" You know, like yeah. for an anthology. Yeah. And I write. You know, someone asked me. You know, solicited me for some other thing. And I can write poems for that. Yeah. Um, and I'm always writing. I have lots of poems. Yeah. Most of my poems that I've written in stories and everything I've written in my life is not published. Yeah. And there are a lot of complicated reasons why I haven't published since 2002. Mm-hmm. Part of it had to do with my divorce. Part yeah. of it had to do with um, claims that people made um, in that situation about my future work. And things, mm. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And it sort of ruined the idea for me of publishing and, and and also you've been complaining about publishing from what I was observing it seemed to be becoming this thing like especially with the you know internet yeah. like there was no vetting anymore anybody could publish there wasn't really anything satisfying about publishing yeah it's you know for me you know and um, it's only recently that people have convinced me that wouldn't you like to have a book yeah you know, I mean, there's a lot of us that would like a new Turcotte book, like what, you know. And Yep. I also lost, like, a novel and a collection of short stories and two books of poems on a laptop that froze up on me mm, yeah. in February of 21, right when I was kind of finally saying, okay, yeah, I'm going to concede, I hand myself over and, like, publish something, yeah. boom, at all this. So everything I'd written since 2013, gone, because wow. uh, I'm an idiot about backing up and the cloud and all that shit, you know? Yeah, you got to back up shit. So, <laughs> yeah, so, I learned that the hard way several yeah. times. And I always encourage my students to publish. Yeah. I get excited when they get something in a little yeah. online magazine, you know, like I get that thrill for them. And, um, but I also tell them, like, that's not the only thing about it. Like, And also, not every goddamn thing you write is worthy of being put yeah. in front of other people's faces. Yeah. You know? I don't like that where people think that everything they write should be, mm. you know, on some website, <laughs> you know? But, I mean, it, do you think of it, though, like all the writing, whatever form it is, like the poem, story, whatever, like it's some sort of communication mm-hmm. with somebody or oh, is yeah. it, yeah. 
Well, that's the that's the thing about like that I've been trying to figure out about you because you know, like through your newsletters and mm-hmm. just talking to you, and yeah. um, you have this attitude of, of like, well, the writing is going to happen, mm-hmm. and I'll publish myself. But there's also doesn't seem to be this real need. It is how important is is it for you to to speak to someone else or with someone else? You know what I mean? You, uh, you seem to have the drive to publish, mm-hmm. but then in your life, it doesn't seem like you have a real need to communicate. <laughs> is that you know what I mean? I mean I'm, I'm not explaining this very well, but no, it's but part I, of my own personal struggle of like. How important is it to me that some stranger somewhere can read one of my poems? Because mm. um, I don't even show my poems to my wife. Yeah, I mean, so they're a private. Yeah. They're a, so they're a private thing for you. Well, I don't know. I yeah. I also think ultimately, well, yeah, that's what art should be about. Yeah, I'm so, glad that people make art and that yeah. I can consume it. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, so. to me, all the art, whatever. Whether it's writing or drawing or whatever, it's it's an attempt to to bridge some sort of, some kind of communication yeah. with others. Okay. So the stu- stuff I let out, yeah. it's so if it's publishing like on online or on paper or whatever, yeah. like it's an attempt to communicate, right. but not yeah, it's not a private conversation. It's a public conversation, okay. and there, whatever the audience is, will if if it works for them, we'll find something that they can connect with or identify yeah. and that's my way of, yeah it's a very oblique way of communicating yeah. that I have that I've de- dedicated my life to <laughs> yeah. but yeah because you often you know you yeah. give off this vibe or you even state it you know in all of your writings especially when you write about writing mm. is that you don't really have that need you know because some people they make this other step which is I want to publish my poems to communicate with people, mm-hmm. but then they want something else. They want people to like love them. Oh or, yeah, you know what I mean, or to go like the wow, personal relationship with the with life, the artist or, or writer. Yeah, you know, um, that's a. I know you're thing. nowhere near that thing, but you're almost you almost give me the impression sometimes when I'm when I'm consuming your writing mm-hmm. that it doesn't matter that much to you, except it does. Otherwise, why would you be? Not not the fame part or the, the acknowledgement, which part, but just which the communication part do you think part. does not matter. Uh, well, I was thinking that you don't have a need, you don't have a drive to communicate with other people enough, you know. Except you must because you publish. Yeah. And yeah. I this is this is the way that I can do it, not like the way that a lot of people right. do it. But also, yeah, I don't make any kind of art just for myself like that shit gets destroyed yeah. it's a, I don't have private art I don't have journals yeah I have a sketchbook my sketchbook is as close to a diary as I have sure it's this so this is what I carry around it's got no words in it but it's got you know it's got drawings yeah. <laughs> but I share that too I scan those in and put them up on my website and sometimes it ends up yeah. in the newsletter and stuff yeah. And this this is what I carry around with. This is how I deal with life, you know. I think. Did you hand me a physical copy of a drawing you did of me, or did you digitize it and email it to me? I can't remember. Shit. It was me reading. It might I, have been reading a Stu's thing. Yes. Yeah. I, I have a drawing of you there. I'm sure it was a digital because it's it's from my sketchbook. Yeah. I did all the readers at that one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I've seen you in, in yeah, space yeah. with a book. 
yeah, that's what you're doing. I draw readers, I draw musicians playing. It's, it's a way for me to participate in the moment. And that's for me, that process is for me. But like the object or whatever afterwards is for other people. It has to be. Like I've sold sketchbooks, you know, like, which some people are horrified by. Like right. it's like I sold my soiled underwear or something. You know? sold, you sold yeah. <laughs> or whatever. But like, yeah, Two of your all I care about is the, is the process. Then I'm on to the next thing. Uh, and I think, yeah, in, in my conception that the artist's job is to, communicate you know like and it's got to live on its own without me it's not I don't need them anymore after I'm done you know I don't need any of them uh, well I don't know I had that thing you know from the time I was a kid I've had that need yeah. to speak to yeah. the world yeah and to find somebody in the fucking world who understands what I'm saying yeah. you know like that organic you know that yeah. original primitive thing right yeah and then it develops over time to where well I just want to you know share how yeah. I view the world with other people, yeah, and you know, maybe have a dialogue with, other yeah, people, you know, because I feel like when I write, I'm always, in some ways, speaking back to other things I've written. Sure, of course, you know? yeah, um, and not back at, but I mean, with speaking with, yeah, you know, um, and then it became like all of a sudden, boom! I just stopped publishing. I got, and I never published, mm -hmm. and then one day I became someone whose words are public, yeah. And very quickly, without, you know, and I, I wasn't like any kind of raging success, Yeah. but I was getting enough attention to where my poetry started to feel like work, mm. like a job. Oh. And I would feel like, especially when I got married and I had the pressures of like a family and expectations, you know, from other people in my life who were like, yeah. well, I don't want to, I don't want to take that gig and go to Fargo or whatever. Yeah. Like, we need the money. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then I'd be like, okay, so I was taking gigs that I didn't want to because we needed the money. And mm -hmm. or, so then, well, I guess I should write another book. Yeah. Because, you know, people don't invite you to do readings unless you have a new book. You know what I mean? So that was the reason that I went ahead and wrote a second book, except it wasn't the only reason. I also encountered something in my writing that felt brand new to me. Mm. I mean, I had one book published and already I was yeah. kind of like sick of my writing career and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but then all of a sudden I discovered, oh, I, I don't have to do the Feathered Heart too. Yeah. I have other ways of writing that, yeah. I, that are new to me and exciting and so I wrote Exploding Chippewas. Yeah. And then there was a lot of pressure for, because that was fairly successful to mm -hmm. write Exploding Chippewas too. Yeah. Which I just knew I didn't want to yeah. do. And in combination with my divorce and some other things, you know, going back to get my yeah. MFA and stuff, yeah. I kind of let it get away from me all that time. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's been 20 years, and I've been publishing random poems here and there yeah. in magazines and things and at the request of people. And I'm excited about those things. I like those yeah. things enough. And I sort of don't even like the idea of writing poems. I like to write books. Mm. Yeah. But I don't know if you're... It seems like that's kind of what you do, too. Yeah, yeah. Well... Yeah. And, and so, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely can see the books I've made soup to nuts myself are, are definitely. Cons I mean, they start out as fragments or little. Some of them are things that were in the newsletters, you know, over the years. Because mm -hmm. I use the newsletter as like a rough draft tryout thing sometimes, yeah. you know. And then they end up in the <laughs> sure. books or like I'll just, because the internet to me is a sketchbook. It's not, you know, it's not a place to put like the thing that is really, really, you know quote-unquote real work you know but it's, it's a place to fuck around and try stuff you know like yeah. uh and it's it's ephemeral kind of like that slam 
that you know like it's you know you, you see it and then it's people are on to the next thing they scan 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 you know like it's not a book mm-hmm. and yeah we're both like, like old enough we come to from a palpable world of like you know pictures and books right. that are out in in meat space I, right. I love that term meat space yeah. sure that's one of those cyber writer things but it's pretty funny to me how do they spell that meat space yeah. i think it's one word meat space ee or ea no ea meat space yeah that's yeah where the because i could also hear people say yeah like, well, could you put that in meat space, like someplace where I can meet oh. it? Oh, oh, yeah. I haven't seen that. No, I mean meat I know, space, I, like I could imagine yeah, it like, coming from the world of yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you know things have fields, you know. Oh yeah, let's let's you know that's a meat thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. You actually, see it or whatever. Yeah, all this meat weird. space. So yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, yeah, I I totally and then I you know because I came from you know drawing and painting. To me, it's all like an, it's these art objects, you know. Mm-hmm. So I mean, my books are, you know, the the words are just the things in between the pictures. A lot of times, yeah. there's I can't mm-hmm. imagine making a book without without visual, some kind of visual component. Mm-hmm. I start with the visual stuff. I do the newsletters that way. I put the pictures in before any of the writing happens. Okay. I st- I always do that. That's my way in, you know. Like sure. it always will be. I'll, I'm a like a painter first, second, and third, like in a writer, like mm-hmm. somewhere way the fuck down the line. Yeah. Wow. That's how I've always. I didn't write anything that wasn't a homework assignment until I was like 30. You know, Jeez, that's crazy. never taken a writing class of any kind outside of high school. You know, so you were always just a drawer. Yeah, drawer. But then, yeah, I mean, I discovered so. Right after I got out of ESL class, I think it was in third grade, you know, where one of the class assignments is you make a book and it's your autobiography mm-hmm. and you write about your past and your present and your future. So in third grade, I wrote in this little fucking book with contact, like it's, I don't know where this, uh, the cover, just like butterflies or something. This is like something you cover like a kitchen table with. That was the cover of this book. Yeah. And it says what I'm going to be when I'm a grown-up. Oh, yeah. Artist and writer. Oh. In third fucking grade. Yeah. The, the writer surprised the shit out of me, yeah. going back to it as a grown-up. Huh. I had no ambitions to write ever. Hmm. Not until I became a cab driver. Cab driver. That job forced me to write. Yeah. Because people kept doing was weird it? shit and telling me their fucking life stories without me asking, you know? Well, as a kid, don't you encounter pictures and words together yeah so maybe that's just all yeah the, the children like the the picture books especially the soviet era ones are like one of the, my first and very important influence that and the and the uh the stamps where there's wor- there's a word and an image together in a yeah. thing yeah. it's another super important early influence for me so for me comparatively i mean as we're talking about this so i would rather than communicate i would say I think there's a, like a, a primal thing for me to express. Mm. Yeah. Because okay. I've never felt like arrogant enough to expect that my expression actually ends up communicating. Mm. You, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that that's just because I've always had like really bad self-esteem and stuff. <laughs> like who would be arrogant enough to like write a poem thinking or assuming that somebody else would write it or read it? Yeah, yeah. But I have a need to write it. Yeah. And then what happens happens, right? To get it out of yourself, yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of like yeah. a purge, like yeah. a whatever purge. Yeah, and yeah, not just a purge, but just yeah, 
to speak often is because there was nobody to speak to. Mm -hmm. So I would write, you know, those isolated times, you know, when you're the outsider, right? Yeah. And people have pointed this out to me, and I think I've discovered it on my own as well, but I don't do anything in my life without some way expressing myself. Yeah. Um, this is a shared space. Yeah. But in but a part of it that is me. Yeah. Everything is purposeful, like things. Everything hanging on the wall. Yeah. Has a story to it. Mm -hmm. okay. yeah. Everything in my office, at the, in my office at Nepal. Yeah. I use every bit of my fucking office space mm -hmm. on the wall. My whiteboard in my office. Yeah. Is just nothing but covered with postcards and other images. Yeah. Because I have to use. I have to express myself constantly. Yeah. When I write a letter to somebody, I draw on the envelope mm -hmm. while I'm thinking yeah. about what I want to write. The stamp that I decide to put on the envelope yeah. to mail them the letter yeah. says something. Sure. That yeah. stamp is chosen on purpose. So every. You want me to close that? Yeah. yeah. I should close that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How rarely they actually do anything around here, and then it has to be now. They waited for yeah. our very, very important conversation right. to, to, to to add the uh, the noise effects. Or in. they got they got a complaint. Hey, could you go make some noise so we don't have to listen to those assholes talk? That's it's um, good. That it's just that's part of the it's yeah. part of the whole thing, sure. you know. Well, usually if this were a Monday, we'd get like all the recycle trucks. Oh, beep, 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 it's Monday. Yeah. Yeah. But all of it. I mean, I don't. I don't do anything in my life without in some way expressing something about myself. Yeah. Yeah, you're just wired for it. And that's, yeah. yeah. It, that's it, that's a weird thing of uh, the time now that we live in with social media and everything is everybody's invited to or feel some sort of need to express themselves. But mm -hmm. I don't think the percentage of the population that really has anything to say or should be saying it has increased at all. Mm -hmm. But the... The access is like exploded. Like anybody can have their soapbox because you can have, yeah. you can record it on your phone and make a video and or whatever. Yeah. I don't think there's any more people with anything valuable to say than there's ever no, been. Of course not. <laughs> but um, for I'm, the people, yeah, for the people that do have something to say, it's never been easier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like in, on a certain level, whether it reaches anybody, that's a whole other question. <laughs> well, do you remember chat rooms? I, yeah, I, yeah. I was very late to. I, I was. I got dragged kicking and screaming into the internet. Yeah. Late, because I was a painter. I didn't even need photography. Yeah. What the fuck is? I didn't yeah. like photography because photographs of paintings distort the paintings. It's, yeah. it's the color's never true. It's right. there's no sense of texture, no proportion. I still feel that way. I, I'm very, I'm very hostile towards photography in a lot of ways. It ruined, ruined visual art. But <laughs> but I was going to say, I wish yeah. I could remember this source. Chat, so what about, yeah, chat room, you said. So before it? I even knew what the fuck the internet was, yeah. computer, let alone, I didn't even know what computers were. Really. Yeah. You know, in the 90s, I didn't have a computer. Nobody no. I knew had a computer. Yeah. Um, until I came to Chicago, then I started meeting people who had computers. Mm. But essentially, there were these things called chat rooms, is my understanding, yeah. and it would be a place for people to be kind of like live Facebook or something almost. Yeah. Like, so people could talk. It's like a dialogue. And there was box. this yeah. whole thing, like you know, in yeah. media about, oh my God, this means this is gonna give anybody anywhere on the planet an opportunity to express themselves. Yeah. You know, 
And it reminded me of that thing when punk started, you know, punk music, and people yeah. would say, any idiot with a guitar yeah. can bang out some noise. Like, it, it just made it made music, like, accessible, makeable for everybody or something, yeah. you know? And, and then I think it was Chomsky, and I, I wish I knew, you know, because yeah. it might not have been him, but yeah. I, I have this dim memory of Chomsky saying in some like little article that I read or something. He'll write in and tell us we misquoted him. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> he always listens. Yeah. But say something to the effect yeah. like, wouldn't it be better if people had something to say before we gave them the ability to say any fucking thing that they want? Mm. Yeah, sure. Across the entire yeah. cosmos, right? Yeah. And I remember specifically a woman whose name I don't know, but she was some sort of educator who just more bluntly said, I think we should teach people how to speak or to think and speak mm-hmm. before we we give them a limitless ability to like spew you know, yeah. all over the place. And I think that's what it has become. I yeah. think that's they were right. And so what we've done is just anybody can say anything anywhere, and because by its nature it becomes acceptable. Yeah. And it is valuable just because everybody else values it. In, and a lot of it has no value whatsoever, you know? And no, but it's, it's, and it's, it's also got this kind of like leveling thing, the internet, where everything is equal to everything else. Mm-hmm. It's just like a f- fucking fire hose at you of yeah. words, images, everything else. So nothing is, there's no hierarchy of any yeah. kind of either value or interest. Everything's next to everything else. Uh, so it's a huge challenge for anybody that has something to say to rise above that noise, you know. And I am by no means like a fan of gatekeepers yeah. at all, yeah. you know. But I think there's a balance. I mean, a way that we can do this. I mean, I, I yeah. like, one of the reasons I used to like sending poems out when, mm. you know, I was yeah. already kind of in the works to have my first book published with yeah. March of Brasso Press, mm. the first version of The Feathered Heart. Yeah. Um, before somebody said to me, so have you been sending those poems that are going to yeah. be in your book to magazines? Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Like even my publisher, Marcio Brasso, didn't think to tell me that, you know. Right. Um, but other people did, so I kind of late yeah. started sending them out. But it was a good way to like say, okay, I'm not standing on a stage mm-hmm. making somebody love me in my poem. Yeah. That's a, it. You know, so the reaction seemed more pure. Like if you sent it to some stranger. Yeah. Who knows who it was? Right. You know? Later, I learned like there could be a lot of weird, crazy people reading mm-hmm. your poems, you know. Yes. As first readers for magazines. Yeah. But um, but some somebody there out in the world like reads your poem and they say back to you, "Wow." Yeah. Some I want to publish this. Like yeah. that was an interesting process. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think and you know, that's sort of like the vetting thing, right? Yes. But then it became this thing of like, well, I have a literary, a cyber magazine. Mm-hmm. Which means, how many pages do I have in my magazine? A million? Yeah. Right? So, they just needed content. I mean, this is yeah. my kind of outsider view of this. Is yeah. That, you know, well, you need content, so who's vetting? You know? Content, all, which is, yeah. to me, sounds yeah. so much like filler. It's just yeah, like that's this, all it is. Yeah. It's this you vacuum that just yeah. needs to be filled with slurry or <laughs> shit, like, and you just, you just, just pump full or whatever, like, yeah. I mean, I remember somebody saying to me, like, Poetry Magazine receives this many submissions every mm-hmm. year, and we'll say three to five poems in each submission. Yeah. And they publish this many poems. Yeah. So it's diff- it was difficult right. 
to end up in Poetry Magazine. Mm-hmm. And it's up to any individual like whether or not that matters to be in Poetry Magazine. Yeah. But you could apply that to any of the magazines, the mm-hmm. hard copy magazines, yeah. and say, so there's a limit amount, limited amount of space yeah. um, that we can publish poems. So that is influencing how we choose, you know, what gets in there. Yeah. And I think that process is required. I mean, yeah. we, we do, I, I vet in my life. Mm-hmm. I vet yeah. people that I meet. Yeah. You know, I vet, you know, things that I do. Yeah. Right? I don't just like say, hey, everybody who wants to come to my house, come. Yeah. You know, I sort of select who comes to my house and stuff, you know, so there's, I select what art I want to go look at and what I want to Sure. Do, you know? Um, and I started to say this earlier and I kind of skipped over it, but it's sort of, I sort of realized I was being phony when I was like, oh, I don't care about publishing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, I'm glad, I started to say this earlier, I'm glad the people who's writing and art and movies mm-hmm. that I love don't think like that. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have their movies and, sure, and yeah. paintings and you know stories and stuff, so it was seen. I started feeling phony to just have have this attitude, almost like artificial. And it was kind of lazy too, you know, on my part. It's. A, I mean, I'm I'm sort of fascinated by this, like your like reticence or whatever, like this withholding thing that you're doing, you know, with the publishing. Like, yeah, it's it's really interesting to me. Like my strategy has been, I mean, since I've gotten into the. The writing racket has been the opposite. Is just to throw everything out there, knowing that like a tiny percentage of it will land, you know. Yeah. And I'm just, and it allows me to keep going. So I don't hold on to anything, you know, as 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 much as I can. I mean, some books like like this, the book that I just gave you, this Paint by Numbers. There's stuff in there that I held on to in my life for a decade or more, that I had to process. Mm-hmm until I could write about it in a way that it was not just settling scores yeah. with people that I was right. angry with. Mm-hmm. And there's there's mm-hmm. lots of anger in that book, but I think there's enough of a distance or whatever cooling off process, I hope so, you yeah. know, that's not just axe grinding, which is, gets all, it's not interesting, you know. <laughs> uh, well, I uh, think some of the best stuff I've ever written I wrote when I was in high school Oh, really? <laughs> Actually, one of my most anthologized and sort of requested poems in my so-called catalog yeah. is something that I wrote when I was probably 17. Mm. I mean, exactly. Yeah. You know, which makes you feel like, wow, the best thing yeah. I ever wrote when I was 17. Yeah. But I also think the stuff I've written now uh-huh. is in, you know, with file cabinets and stuff yeah. um, is the best stuff I've ever written. Um, and it's... Somebody also said this to me recently, which I think might be a little bit true. I may have replaced the process of being a writer mm-hmm. with being a teacher. Oh, yeah. You know, like, and, and I'm not saying it's good or bad, but yeah. a lot of what I get, which is communicating and expressing mm-hmm. myself yeah. in writing, I get, you get from I teach. Yeah, you were at, I think this is a little bit of what you were getting at before when you were asking me that about this weird thing about where, like, do you think I don't seem to need communication? Yeah. And I think what you meant was, like, this thing that you get from teaching. Mm-hmm. Like the, like a direct, in live, whatever, like, yeah. interaction right. yeah. with people. Uh, yeah, which I haven't done much teaching. And, uh, and you've usually been fairly disparaging about your experience with 
teaching or being taught. Being before. taught, yeah. I, 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 I had a lot of difficulty taking instruction in right. certain ways. Right. Yeah. With yeah, whatever pro- Problems yeah. with authority and this and that, you know, like sure. every, everybody's wired different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, school was rarely a good time for me. <laughs> and I think, yeah, oftentimes a waste of time mm-hmm. in, in certain ways. I mean, I, I think about this all the time, whether I should have even gone to art school, you know, like yeah. what, what was the, the value of that? And, you know, there are a couple of people that I'm in touch with to this day, you know, that I met in art school mm-hmm. who are important to me yeah. that would I wouldn't have met if I wasn't, you know, if I hadn't had that experience. That's probably the most valuable thing. Just like you were saying earlier, you were going off to college and meeting these people that had, like, similar interests. And, you, yeah. you know, that was a huge impact, just like your students have. Uh, and I think also, I mean, there, I... When I'm made aware of it, you know, students will let me know that I have, you know, they value me and they value their experience of me. That's pretty satisfying stuff. Mm. You know, not satisfying like in an end result way, but in a process way. Yeah. You know, and I've even admitted to my students sometimes like, you know, you guys got to publish some poems because I I get vicarious thrill. Sure. From you announcing, you know, I do, you know, I mean, like I've been aware of that. Um, but I also sort of believed in like the, the organic aspect of things. Mm-hmm. So I don't re- I'm sort of realizing that I did replace after enough people started suggesting yeah. it to me and giving me other examples that I replaced kind of like, you know, I also lost my relationship with my son. Yes. After this divorce. And that was a huge relationship in my life. Mm-hmm. My, you know, at the time, ten and a half year old son. Yeah. And through a matter of circumstances and bad information, yeah, um, I was deprived of my relationship with him. Yeah. Um, and you know, not in a legal way, not yeah. in yeah. a legal way, but just in yeah. a life way. Yeah. Um, and so I think I was replacing that relationship with the teaching. Mm. I see. You know, yeah. Things like that and and letting it, you know, fill some, you know, fulfill some stuff that I needed. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's bad. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, I guess strategically, I, I would rather be on my 10th book, yeah. you know, than my third. I mean, technically, I guess it would be like my fifth book. But uh, yeah. Anyway, um, this is the uh, path you've, you've yeah. made. Uh, and yeah, so maybe you weren't like a strategic careerist right. uh, writer as yeah. so many are I also wish I hadn't been drunk in 1978 sure and had actually gotten a degree mm. and maybe yeah. become a, a professor Early. or gone yeah. to an MFA yeah. in 1979 yeah or whatever and be retired from teaching <laughs> you know my six-figure yeah. teaching yeah. income and you know and that would be a much nicer life too so I could spend the rest of my life yeah. having those which yeah. you know only if only if they'd gone this way or that way, right? What's the what's the saying? You can wish in one hand and shit in the yeah. other and see which one fills up first. Right. Yeah. My problem is I always kinda of shit on my wishes and you know, well, like, yeah, see, you're you're creative. <laughs> you're you're a original improvisatory thinker. <laughs> 
there, I mean, another struggle I've had too. I mean, I don't know how long you want to go on about as this long as you want. But um, uh, no, this is. I was, totally hoping, I was thinking maybe I would treat us to some sushi as you leave the ah. neighborhood. There's a place right up on the corner up here. Mm. If you, I don't know if you like sushi, it's just someplace that's close and it's acceptable. I'm not a seafood. If if they um, have other things there that's not sushi, like sandwiches and stuff, maybe. I don't know. No, like like soup or like like a, a not. I'm not a fish. Oh, like, I could do the veg the vegetable ones. Oh, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, let, let's do it. But do you, yeah, for wrapping up, do you want to read? You were going to read something. Well, can I say something before I read that? Oh, thing? you can With, say it's been, oh, you, can, you can say ten. I'm not trying there. to wrap us up. I just no. wanted to make sure that I, because I'm not feeding you. You've been in my house a long time, and I haven't <laughs> fed you. You're feeding me yeah, with yeah, okay yeah. conversation. <laughs> um, wow! Yeah. Now I just lost it. I Sorry. started talking about sushi. See, not now well, I think about what I, you remember what I was saying? It was like the most important thing I was going to say all day. Oh, Jesus. I'm, just, I'm making that up. I'm just yeah. making that up. Because <laughs> really it was. Really, I was going to say something smart. I swear, I was. You said many um, smart things. Yeah. Um, oh, this struggle, which is yeah, str- the artist, that impulse that uh-huh. I have. Yeah, I mean, all of us spend time thinking about, and I had people say to me, how did you become this person? Because they yeah. can't, they can't find it in my life, right? Mm. Usually, it's like, well, my mother loved to sing. Yeah, sure. So I, you know, I wrote songs. Yeah, or whatever. And she would sing while she ironed. Yeah. Um, I realized that my impulse, which is, people would argue, like the best part of me is mm-hmm. me pursuing my artistic impulse, mm-hmm. um, comes from. My violent father. Yeah, I've. It's taken me a long time to really accept that that is where it comes from. You know, it might come from other places that I'm not aware of. Uh, how, you know, from him in what way? He was a singer, a oh, musician. Okay. He was really expressive. He was like out there in the world. He could yeah. perform. He was performative. Yeah. Um, you know, when I cleaned out his apartment building after mm-hmm. he died, I found an amazing array of books yeah. that shocked me. Yeah. And I went, oh, because nobody told me about this guy, this, this person. I, didn't, I never knew. But you did that thing, you, recre- you, cre- you created it on your own, like, like an alternate, whatever. Yeah, I just all thing. I knew about him was that he was really violent. Yeah. And um, unpredictable, mm-hmm. and I knew that he could sing and play guitar yeah. and dance. So my mother would say, "He sings and plays guitar and dances to seduce women, so that he can be violent with them." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I mean, yeah. not so that, but I mean, yeah. that's like. So she connected all that stuff, right? Like his his ability to seduce, yeah, ultimately led to violence. Mm. You know, like if he could seduce you without yeah. slapping the shit out of you later, yeah, that would be great. You know. So these things were all intertwined. Yeah. And I've come to realize that I am, without even growing up with him, Yeah, I'm just genetically, biologically, whatever, very much of him. Yeah. And my voice, literally my voice, yeah. um, which a lot of people value. You yeah. Know, you know, you sound like him? And, um, or you've been told? Not like him, but I have the same sort of like, ability to project, mm-hmm. to be heard. Yeah. You know, when he would speak, people would listen. Yeah. You know, even if it wasn't that interesting. You know what I mean? It was like just kind of one of those voices. So some of the, what I think of is like the best parts of myself come from this guy. Yeah. Who I've sworn my whole life I would not be. 
Mm-hmm. You know, but there was another aspect of him that was that I should have been more open. to. But it sounds like you took but, the good parts. Right. But as that has developed, then it's yeah. become like this struggle within me of like, you know, especially when I lost contact with my son. Mm-hmm. It started me thinking about, you know, how I swore my whole life I would never be a father and then not be a father. Yeah. And that was like the one thing I promised myself. Yeah. And it's also something that I failed at. Mm-hmm. Wasn't necessarily all my fault, but I failed at it. Yeah. You know, and. But you got back in touch. The, yeah, he and I eventually are yeah. back. Yeah, back yeah, which in is great. Lives yeah. now. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I ne- I I'd given up on it. Never you, you went to the Patty Smith concert. Yeah, you were telling me it was about a year that. ago May. Okay, yeah, yeah. May I remember. Yeah. I was talking about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, she happened. To, uh, I bought tickets to go see her, mm-hmm. and realized, oh, that's my son's birthday. Mm. I wonder what he's doing. Yeah. in the world, and how is yeah. it, old is he? Oh, he's going to be twenty-eight. You know, and that was your way, like right. a, a way of right. So then, in, way in. you know, like two months before the show, I just started thinking. I'm going to fucking call him. I yeah. have a number for his mother. I'm going to yeah. call and say, hey, I want to talk to you about something. And like, yeah. use this as an excuse to like invite him back into my life. And he accepted like that. So, he, yeah, that, that's fantastic. It shocked me. I mean, yeah. like, I almost like didn't believe it. Like, I, oh, no, I'm being played or something. You know? mm, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's amazing. He's an amazing young man. Um, Where does he live? In Bayfield, Wisconsin. So over yeah. by Duluth Superior. Okay. No, um, on the far western. Tip oh yeah, uh, almost to, Minis- yeah. to Minnesota. Yeah, um, Bayfield is right on, right off the Apostle Islands. The Apostle Islands are right off of Bayfield oh, okay. in Lake Superior, so it's the northernmost point of Wisconsin. It's a okay. Yeah, I've been up like in the Minnesota to the Boundary Waters. There was oh, an yeah. art redi- residency yeah. that I was part of a couple Split of times. Rock. No, it's called Tofty Lake. Oh, it's by, something. Do you know where Ely is? Yeah. It's near, the nearest town is Ely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Past, up there, past Duluth and stuff. Well, yeah. I should have known because Split Rock, I think, is in Writers. Well, the, I, it was like one of those general, like, it was, I was actually there with a, my friend Wendy Clenard. She's a dancer. She has a dance company. She's been, she's been doing that for decades here. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was doing some art stuff for, for a production of hers. So we went up there, and, and then the second time I went up there, she just invited me to hang out, and I finished one of my books up there, you know, just sitting. Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't done too many of those, those like isolating, like art retreat kind of things, because, yeah, sure, yeah. I mean, you could argue most of my life is a fucking art, that's right, that's right. art, art, art retreat. What would I be retreating from? I can do mine in my own house. I don't yeah, yeah, like why'd I have to go somewhere? But, uh, Nobody calls me or emails me. I don't need to get away from my electronics. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, that's that's a so so he's up up that way, still. Yeah. And he grew up kind of. He said, you know, he was born. Well, he was born here mm-hmm. um, in this neighborhood, actually in Rogers Park at home. Yeah. And then he kind of grew up his early growing up in Door County, and then yeah. during our divorce, we moved moved him over there. I moved them over to Bayfield. Mm-hmm. And they've been over there, which has been really inconvenient. One of the reasons that I couldn't like yeah. really force because yeah. I was so far in order to operate in the world, I had to be like eight hours away from him all the time. You know? Right. And yeah, it's a hike to get, yeah. get up that way. Well, yeah. without, you know, I don't want to get into my divorce yeah. stuff. But no, one, no. You know, part of the problem with this is that this idea of like trying to live a certain way 
but in a place where you can't live that way because mm. it's like in the middle of fucking nowhere. You right, know? yeah. So, well, yeah, we all make our decisions and choices. Yes, yeah. we do. <laughs> That's been revitalizing. And actually, I yeah. think in a lot of ways, it's made me a happier person. Yeah. It's made me certainly more optimistic about the world. Um, and uh, he's he has a, a wonderful sweetheart who he's brought into our yeah. lives. Who's all, I mean, that's also a positive... You know, more reason for optimism. And um, well, I, I can tell you, like you're doing better because you reach out more. You know, like you think so? Yeah. Yeah, it seems like. Well, it, part yeah. of that also is the health stuff. Yeah. Also, I've yeah. Gotten, you know, yeah. Gotten better. It's <laughs> like I said when you're here, uh, walking around in a world in which your body suddenly decides mm-hmm. I need to be at home. Yeah. You know, it's hard to make appointments with people and like sure. you know, halfway yeah. through dinner say, "Oh, I gotta go." Or go out into the world and like say, well, I'm not going to eat lunch because yeah, I might have to rush home if I have lunch. Or you know what I mean, just weird stuff like that. So no, yeah, but, but because I know most of the people I know are like involved in some sort of art, weird artistic mm-hmm. struggle, and I, I'm always very respectful of people's yeah. private. I, like I don't, I don't knock on people's doors or anything. Like I'm, I'm happy to hear from the people that reach out, but like I never insist, you know. <laughs> Because I certainly don't have a standard life and not a standard way of socializing, you know. Yeah, I feel like I've. I mean, I give that leeway to a lot of, a lot of. I don't give that leeway to a lot of people because uh-huh. I'm like, you don't have an excuse for this. <laughs> you, know, you don't. I mean, you know, like people who like work in cubicle. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, your life is like nine to five. Yeah. Don't tell me you suddenly. You know, have to do something else because you don't do anything else. I yeah, like, artists, I know. I mean, yeah. I understand that. I respect that. You know? um, even if they're not that good, no, I still respect it. You know? No, most aren't. Most are really bad. <laughs> <laughs> so the the man, uh, the Dimitriizing of Turcot is conversation. I'm, I'm sorry. That's all right. Yeah. Starting to sound like Dimitri. If, yeah, you're gonna be a cynical yeah. jerk. Yeah. Dimitri doesn't like anything, it's like, which is not or anything true. No one and nothing. Yeah. Well, that, to me, that just makes you. That's the special. cliche. That's that's the. That's the company line of a lot of people yeah. dealing with me, and so much of it is just a matter of like it's this cultural. Thing. It's like this thing that I've just never learned about being a proper American. Like I don't smooth shit over that. Yeah. Like. I just say what I think. It gets me into so much fucking trouble. Like I, uh, yeah. even sometimes halfway, it's coming out of my fucking mouth, and I say, "Oh God, I've, I've done it again." But it's, it's it makes like for the people that do like whatever it is I am, like you know, they it's endlessly amusing to people. Like, <laughs> do you have moments where you stop yourself? Oh yeah. And why? For who? For whom? Uh, there, there are times where, like, I've walked out of place. I've, I've made myself leave because I'm about to say something to a person I care about that I can't take back, okay. and I, I just know it's happening. And I but tell you, you have to leave in order to not do it. Oh yeah, because if I say, I will say it, and and I'll, I'm going to destroy shit. And I, I, I have a very, like, it's deep in there, like, you know not a need but like a, a natural tendency to, to fuck shit up you know like to, to burn shit to the ground you know like yeah. 
<laughs> like, and I have to fight that <laughs> because it's not productive. Sometimes it is. Like, there's nothing more satisfying than like we'll be working on a painting and it just sucks, and I just like will rip it up and throw it in the trash, yeah. and it feels so fucking good, and it's right, and it should, because it's it's not doesn't deserve to live. But like, if you have that a- attitude towards human beings, it's more of a problem. Or relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the things that make me pretty good at doing the shit I do like creatively make me a fucking disaster in relationships <laughs> and I've recognized that and my, my, my current solution is to retreat to the monastery right. <laughs> so do I treat people like I treat my poems <laughs> I don't think so I don't no. think so yeah, they you treat were, people better or like treat the poems better? Um, Who gets an easier well, it depends. out of Turcot? <laughs> no, no matter what it is I'm the loser I'm right. the one. Oh, who, absolutely! I'm yeah. the one who's being mistreated by both yes. poetry and yeah. people. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. If you build, if you de- dedicate your life to a thing that is like bigger than yourself, like you're going to be, it's like it's slave one way or another. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to. And I, I, I don't know how you think about it. I think of things like passing through me. I don't think they originate with me. Whatever they are, the images or the words. I'm there to listen and look and, and then to serve them, you know, and then get the fuck out of the way mm-hmm. because I, I'll fuck it up. Uh, like me standing there next to it, that's right. part of the, tor- the, the, the tortured relationship with like art openings or readings or anything where like I as a person have to appear next to the art is a fucking problem. Yeah. <laughs> like for me, you know, continues to be. Sunday you had, had a good day. agent, they would like say, look, Stay home. Yeah, it's one of the yeah. gatekeepers I haven't been privileged to be part, or I haven't been able to cultivate. Mm-hmm. Like agents, gallery, gallerists, all these, the, the, the buffers between yeah. the, the asshole artist and the, and the public. I haven't had that luxury for the most part, for most of my life, you know, with, with rare exceptions. And uh, so I'm, I'm forced to be the salesman, and I'm a shitty salesman. Like, and I, I can't not do it ironically. I can't be a dick about it sometimes. At least I can laugh it off. I can make it seem sort of funny, you know. But it's still a shitty sales job. Because <laughs> like, couching the shitty thing you want to say to somebody in humor yeah. is acceptable. Yes. To a point. Up to a point. Until, until it gets to be... People can sense when it's like bitter and hard-edged. Yeah. You know, like when that outweighs the, the yuck-yucks. Right. <laughs> you know? The funny when game. You, when yeah. the thing that they're asking you how much you want for it, you tear in half. Yeah. They get they get the message. Well, like I don't want to sell this to you. Well, so here's a current. Yeah, yeah, like I'm doing this thing that's sort of <laughs> confounding people, where I sell like all the artwork for two hundred dollars now. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Two hundred or more. Like they're yeah. welcome to pay right. more, but yeah. like my thing now is like I so hate the whole what what's been made of art, mm. which is like just a way for billionaires to hide their fucking money. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's such a way to avoid paying taxes, and I don't want to participate. So I've wrecked, I, whatever market I have for for my work is wrecked by me, yeah. and I don't fucking care. I need, but two hundred dollars is like an amount of money that, you know, people that spend their time looking at art, it's not, it's not big. Mm-hmm. They can allow themselves and not regret too much, you know. Yeah. But it's. It does pay a bill or two, you know what I mean? And all I want is to keep going. I, I don't 
what what do I actually deserve for any one unit of art? I have no fucking idea. It's whatever you can get. Yeah. Uh, but it's it makes people they they don't know what to do with that a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, well, this is a big painting, and you're asking two hundred dollars, and then you get to like, I've had gallery people like basically mm-hmm. admit their they price their shit like wallpaper. You mm-hmm. know, like by the foot. Yeah, yeah. How long have you been in this this place? Uh, we bought it in August of eighteen. Oh, okay. And we lived in the building next door. Ah. Um, before that, mm. it's from 2012. And that was a, an apartment, and we had looked at condos in this building, and we didn't like them. Yeah. And in that building, it's a horseshoe courtyard yeah. building. Mm-hmm. We lived in the bottom of the horseshoe on the alley. Yeah. In the right, the north eastern corner. Yeah. On the second floor. Yeah. And we kept we liked that location so much that we were like. Man, if that condo in that same location in that mm. building next door ever came yeah. open, we should look at it. Yeah. And we had been up to Lake Superior, um, on, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, for a vacation. And the day we got back, we saw that it was posted. Yeah. And we came and looked at it, and like two weeks later, we owned it. Mm. We just, it, you know, we just love. I mean, yeah. I love that it's on the. Plus, we own that parking space right oh. at the bottom of the steps. That's nice. Yeah. 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 And um, so we get in and out of the gated thing. So, you know, instead of spending 40 minutes driving mm. around the neighborhood, mm. car, yeah. You know, so, you know, it's not too high up, you know, for my old legs and stuff. It's a, it's a great street. I mean, it's quiet over here. And people are slowly discovering these beaches up here, but yeah. so far they're not too bad. Yeah. You know, if it's a holiday, they get kind of crazy. But, right. you know, overall, people haven't ruined them yet. <laughs> Give them time. <laughs> yeah. Well, we always tell people like, don't tell anyone how how nice our. Well, I appreciate you bar. inviting me into your into this undisclosed location. That's right. Yeah. To <laughs> to enjoy um, your little corner of paradise, right. as we talked about earlier. Paradise. Yeah. Hey, do you remember Smoke Signals? That Sherman Alexie film. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I saw it like probably one. Was, yeah. That's a long time ago. Yeah, like early '90s. Yeah. yeah. Or excuse me. Yeah. Mid '90s. Yeah, maybe late '90s. Anyway, the kid who played the protagonist as a child in it, yeah. in the flashbacks, mm-hmm. has made a movie now that's playing in, at Tribeca. Oh, really? It's called Hey Victor. Oh, cool. Uh, so I haven't heard of it. Yeah. There's a, a character in that movie who keeps mm-hmm. calling this kid Victor. Hey, yeah. Victor! Uh-huh. And it becomes like this. Yeah crazy thing so he's just made it like a movie that is about like what happened to that kid when he grew up or something it's supposed to be hilarious and it's supposed cool. to be really funny um, I was looking for Asahi right oh yeah so here's one they have anything that's n- not not fish and more cool. They usually have a couple. The pad also works if you want. Oh, yeah. So I'm just on the about and get on the menu there, maybe. Oh, yeah. Uh, restaurant menu. Hey, a menu. Oh, is it a separate? Maybe. Roll menu. Huh. Interesting. Let me just see what, what order online will do. Coming soon. Nope. That's weird. <laughs> 
Asahi roll. Okay. Oh, 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 yeah. Maybe it's. There we go. Okay. Rolls, 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 rolls. Vegetarian roll and. That's all. Fish. Appetizer. Oh, here they have app sides and salads. Soup. No, no, no. Yeah, it's fine. Oh, here, here we go. Oh. Japanese noodles. Bingo. Oh, you can do that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Right. Kimchi fried rice. Perfect. All right, yeah. Great. Yeah, maybe we should do that pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. So, you were gonna read something. Do you want to do that? Oh, yeah, I can do that real quick. Yeah, do that, and then we'll go eat. <laughs> All right. So, um, I spent a lot of time in my life. I've probably done somewhere close to five hundred invited readings like where mm -hmm. someone invited me and paid me like 500 yeah. readings sure that's not counting like endless open mics and all that yeah stuff. so i've done a lot and i've stood yeah. in front of a lot of audiences and as a native person if it wasn't a specific like native location like mm -hmm. a native school yeah. or class or you know community it's rare that there were native people in the audience mm. and often when they're there was someone who was native in the audience. For me, I noticed them, I recognized them, but there's this sort of like almost unspoken thing of like, well, we're not going to just like stare at each other or uh -huh. navigate toward each other just because we're both native or whatever. You know? mm -hmm. And sometimes it would happen, I'd be reading somewhere and they would, a teacher or a professor would say, you know what, I've got two native students and I'm so glad you're here. I'm going to make sure they come to this reading. So it's like, uh -huh. oh, because, oh, there's a native poet. You could yep. be, you know, so they would be like forced to be there. And often I would see these young native people like in mm -hmm. the back of the room, just like standing in the back, like they didn't like, want to be there. They really there, don't you know, want to like be there. They, yeah. they, they extra did not want yeah, to be yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was like, oh God, just because yeah. there's an Indian, you know, so what? I had that with the yeah. Russian, like the immigrant thing. Oh, like, sure. Yeah, that makes sp sense. Say something in Russian or like, here's another speak, uh, another kid from Russia. So like, we're going to automatically be friends because we're in the same part of the sure. geography. That's stupid. Right. I, I always reacted very negatively mm -hmm. to any of that. So I, I totally understand where you're coming from. And people did it to me when I was a kid at that little yeah. high school one time when there mm. was a, a native guy who was giving a talk there or something. Yeah, sure. And I did everything I could to avoid him. Yeah. But then kids in my high school were like, hey, Mark, I think I saw your dad. Cause, you know, because this one you need dad. <laughs> so that made it even more special. Yeah. So I've been thinking about this poem and this idea of like speaking to these people and uh -huh. this book that I've, you know, the book that, one of the books of poems I lost is called um, The Monster Speaks to His Makers. Mm. This is the title of my book. And and I was often doing these what I called Dear Whoever poems. Mm. And I did a series of them. So it'd be like, you know, Dear Mom or, you know, Dear yeah. Mrs. Gripple who taught me in first grade. Or yeah. Dear Somebody. Just as like a launching point for a poem. Yeah. So I had this idea to speak to these young native people uh -huh. you know, who were, you know, standing in the back and kind of don't want to be there. So I called it Dear New Blood, mm. you know, which is a play on, you know, full blood, half blood and all that uh -huh. kind of stuff. You know. So this is called Dear New Blood. You don't need me, I know, here on this podium with my poem. You hunched in the back of the room, tilted in your lean, reservation lean. You ho-hum your gaze out the window towards some other sky. Dear new blood, dear holy, dear fully, mixed up, mixed down, mixed in and out blood. Go ahead, kick the shit, kiss the shit from my ears. I swear, I swear I'll listen. 
stutter at, stutter at me, you uptown weed, you thorn, you petal. Aim my old flowered face at the sky. I know you don't need me here on this podium with my poem. You pressed flat to the wall, shoulders cocked, loaded for maqua, for old growlers like me. You yawn your glance out the window at the tempting sky. Wake me, bang my dead drum, drum, clang, clang, my anvil, my bell. Shout me, hush me your song, your shiny impossible, your long wounded song. Tell me everything you know you don't. Tell me, do you feel conquered and occupied? Maybe I've forgotten. Sing it plain. Has America ever been America to you? Let you be you in your own sky. Sing deep Chaco, deep Minneapolis, deep Standing Rock, deep Oakland and L.A. Sing deep Red Cliff, sing Chicago, deep Acoma, deep Pine Ridge and Tahlequah. Sing and mourn. I think you too were born with broken heart. Rise, smash your un-American throat against the edge of the reddening sky. And that's Dear New Blood, which I shouldn't have launched into that without um, taking another drink of Prescott's. <laughs> no, I, thank you. Yeah, thank yeah, you very sure. much, Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let's. that's a good place to end it. Okay, thanks. Great.